In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Visualize your higher self trapped on a battlefield for eternity. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Six little ghosts sitting on posts eating butter toasts. Ridiculous. Anything goes at Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. UPRN 105.3 New Orleans. Did you guess where you're listening to this? Because I just did. Hey, Paratopia, Jeff Ritzman here, along with Jeremy Vaney. What is today, Jeremy? Thursday? Yes. Thursday night. Ten of nine. And uh, our guest tonight is Mr. Mark Nesbitt. And uh, if anybody out there in our UFO land has ever delved into the ghost arena at all, uh, you're probably familiar with Mr. Nesbitt. He has been involved with uh, Gettysburg and the ghost uh, goings-on up there for many years. Uh, He is a former National Park Service ranger and historian. He started his own research and writing company in 1977 and did research and advertising copy for some of America's best historical artists. Beginning in 1978, he began writing books, including If the South Won Gettysburg, 1980, 35 Days to Gettysburg, Rebel Rivers, Saber, and Scapegoat, Jeb Stewart and the Gettysburg Controversy, uh, Through Blood and Fire, and his best-selling Ghosts of Gettysburg series, 1991 to present day. Uh, Many of his stories have been seen and or heard on the History Channel, A&E, The Travel Channel, Unsolved Mysteries, Coast to Coast AM, Boo! Uh, and numerous other local television programs and specials. In July of 2004, his Ghost of Gettysburg series received the National Paranormal Award for Best True Hauntings Collection and Best Local Haunt Guidebook. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. I'm, I'm sure that's not everything you've done either. In, in the well, every, everything of, that we can say over the radio. Uh, well, yeah. right. What have you done for us lately? Right. Um, so, why don't we kind of start it off by how did you how did you start in this like way back when how did you in the ghost arena of things being a ranger i'm sure you probably saw and heard some things up there well first you know like everybody first i was a tourist mm-hmm. going to gettysburg and um you know you, you hear about all the death and the and the, and the and the suffering and everything and so you know and you get to meet some of the people that live in Gettysburg, and, and it's a natural question. Is the place haunted? Mm-hmm. So we would ask the cute lifeguards, you know, is this place haunted? <laughs> We're teenagers, and they go, yeah, we've got a couple ghost stories. But we only heard a couple mm-hmm. back then. And um, so it was, wasn't until I was a, a park ranger that, there that I really started collecting these things. I was the bachelor in the park, and so they would put me in the different houses out on the battlefield, the historic houses. Mm-hmm. Of course, every time a a married family would come. I'd get kicked out. So I got a chance to live in about four or five of the different houses nice. there, including the 
National Cemetery Lodge, you know, right there in the National Cemetery. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I'd always ask, you know, I'd be moved into, say, the Wakert House, and I'd ask the bosses there, okay, can do you have a packet with the history of the house, you know? And in case a tourist came by they, they, they and they asked, I'd like to know. Right. So um, uh, they'd give me the pack, and then I would, I'd always ask, okay, what are the ghost stories? I know the history. What are the ghost stories? Right. And the National Park Service back then and to this day, the official party line is, there are no such things as ghosts here at Gettysburg. Really? Yeah, that's the National Park Service line. And so um, I would have to ask a few more people and, and people who lived in those houses before. And sure enough, they'd have ghost stories. And remarkably, the ghost stories that I heard from them, the events that they witnessed that were unexplainable, happened to me in those very houses. Wow. So that got me kind of interested in this whole type of thing. Right. And so I started... I never wanted to be a park ranger for the rest of my life. I wanted to be a writer. Right. So I started jotting these down. You know, you, you, you just do that when you're, when you're a writer. And um, then I quit the park service and started my own research and writing business. And several years later, back in, I guess, around 1990, you know, I had a friend of mine had actually started his own publishing company. And I had collected maybe 12 or 15 of these stories. And I asked him, I said, uh, you know, would you be interested in a collection of the ghost stories of mm-hmm. Gettysburg? And he said, sure. He normally did pure history. Um, so I wrote The F- Ghosts of Gettysburg, the very first one. Right. Didn't call it Ghosts of Gettysburg 1 because I never thought there'd be a Ghost of Gettysburg. <laughs> Just one right. off, right? Yeah. And uh, it came out. And within two weeks after that came out, remember it took me about 12 years to collect all, collect all those stories. Mm-hmm. Within um, two weeks of that coming out, I started get, getting phone calls. And letters and faxes from people. This is pre-email, so I wasn't going to email. Right. Um, from people who basically were saying, wow, I'm not crazy. You know, what I experienced at Gettysburg was not a hallucination. Other people have seen these things, too. Here's what happened to me. Wow. And I still get letters. I mean, I, I have, uh, like I said, I've collected, I've, I've published probably close to seven, six or seven hundred uh, the stories, you know, maybe right. I think I have, I'm working on Ghosts of Gettysburg seven right now, and but there's still hundreds that I have in my files that I haven't published, yet. And, a, and a lot of them repeats. One person seeing or experiencing something in one spot, and someone else like down the line seeing and experiencing the same thing. I mean, same thing. Sometimes in the same area, mm-hmm. uh, there are patterns that have emerged. It's turned into almost like a like a sociological study. I mean, you have almost a thousand stories and you start to see patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the Phantom Battalion. I'd heard of this unit that would march out uh, onto the battlefield, uh, do a few maneuvers and then march back into the woods and people would go down there to, to find the quote reenactors where mm-hmm. they were. The grass is undisturbed. There aren't any buses. There aren't any cars. There aren't any reenactors. I probably have uh Six accounts of that type of thing, and they look real. They don't. They're not see through, or no, no, they're not see through. They look real. People think they're they're reenactors. Except the one woman who said um, she was. Uh, uh, it was six, about six o'clock in the morning, and she and her son and, and her dog. I remember we were talking about that earlier. Right. Dog was in the back of the car, and they got onto the wheat field road near the peach orchard, and all of a sudden they saw a, a battalion, a, a unit of soldiers marching around in the field. Mm. And the, the dog started growling, mm. okay? 
And um, they were fascinated for 30, 40 seconds. And then uh, suddenly a couple joggers came over the hill and the unit just vanished, just disappeared before wow. our eyes. So wow. it didn't march off anywhere, it just, just disappeared. And um, the important thing, as, as we had talked about before, is that dog. And right. I'll tell you why. You know, we go into, we have a paranormal experience, or we see a ghost or experience something like that. The first thing humans want to do is explain it away. Right. It's um, something under my contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too little, too much to drink last night. Right, right. Yeah, whatever. We have I'm a million, my imagination. We have a million and one excuses. Animals don't have any of that baggage. They don't have any. They just alert. Right. You know, and they start growling. And that's what happened to that dog. He was protecting his masters from whatever this was because he saw it. And so that's why animal accounts, I think, are, are fascinating. Wow. I mean, when you've been out there, what would you say for you was the experience, the thing that, that happened to you that you can say, man, that's it. This has really got a hold of me now. You know, no going back. Jeff, it's been a kind of a gradual thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even to this day, I'm still a skeptic. Mm-hmm. I'm still a- trying to analyze these things. I say that the jury's still out, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the jury's dwindling. Right, right. <laughs> they keep moving. You know, we don't have a dozen anymore, you know. Right. It's getting a little harder to, uh, 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 I, first of all, I do not discount this phenomenon. Right. Um, and I believe, uh, because I have uh, ways of testing these people, I believe the people that um, I've put their whose stories I put in my books. Right. Um, and just, you know, that, 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 that huge amount of experience just can't be discounted. I mean, people are experiencing something at Gettysburg and other places. Right. And, and have been, uh, really for, for over a hundred years. Mm. Uh, we also do ghost tours in Fredericksburg, Virginia, another mm. civil war battlefield. Okay. And I have collected stories of civil war people seeing ghosts. Wow. Yeah. So it and 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 we know. I mean, Nero thought he was haunted right. by yeah. the ghost yeah. of his. Uh, I guess it was his mother that he had killed. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you test these things? Well, I have a couple. For example, when they usually they come up to me uh, when I'm doing an uh, an autographing session, they say, "This here's what happened to me," and they'll tell me a story, and uh, I'll say, "Look, that's that's a that's an interesting story. Would you write that down and send it to me?" Mm-hmm. Because I I'm, I don't I didn't take any notes I'm not going to be able to remember it I've talked to you know half a dozen people tonight who've told me those stories sure. so if I never get anything from them then who knows you know yeah. if, they, if they can't even write it down then but there are other things that I look for and I don't want to say them all because then people will start using them yeah you got some but for control. example people will um, be telling me uh, writing this story. And they'll talk about um, they're they're gonna you know they're at this at say Spang, Spangler Spring mm-hmm. and and they're developing what is happening and all of a sudden this bird flies in front of the car mm-hmm. and then they continue the story and you never hear about this bird ever again it has nothing to do with the story what they're trying to do is tell me that story so accurately that they even leave in a non sequitur right something that doesn't I mean if you're gonna tell a ghost story you're not gonna stick a bird in there right right <laughs> what point is that yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And um, you know, so that that um, that t- that's one thing that tells me. Hmm. And you know, plus the other thing is, you do have this. So you still have a stigma. You oh know, yeah. Someone is going to come up, and and it, and it's basically you're you're kind of exposing yourself, saying you know 
here's what I experienced at Gettysburg. Right. Uh, you're putting yourself in for a little bit of ridicule. Uh, I'm as crazy as everybody else. That yeah. Kind of, yeah. You're, 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 you know, your buddies down at the pool hall. Right. Are going to oh, get yeah. a, a, oh, know, yeah. a I mean, well, me and Jeremy have a saying for what you talked about with the bird in that it's uh, that's just too stupid to be made up. Right. You know? I mean, it's just yeah. to become one of those kind of things. So this has been a gradual thing for you over the years to, yes, to see this stuff. But you've personally seen it, right? I've personally had experiences, yeah. I, I've had several experiences. And, and once again, with uh, Jeremy, Jeff and I were talking Early about, earlier about how people always want to ask, they always say, have you ever seen a ghost? And, if, and most people have to say, well, no, I haven't, mm-hmm. because um, most people haven't. But that doesn't mean they haven't had a paranormal experience. Mm-hmm. Out of the thousand stories that I've collected, only about 10 or 11% are visual. Mm-hmm. 60 to 61% are auditory. In other words, you're going to hear a ghost before you see one, at least in Gettysburg. Right. Um, but all the senses are involved. People have smelled things that are just out of context. Mm-hmm. They have uh, felt, been touched. They've felt things that, that are out of context. Mm-hmm. So all the senses are involved. Um, and then I was going to answer a question that Jeremy. Just what was your experience? What- well, I've had several um, experiences. And then, like I said, I've only had two visuals. But that doesn't. You know, that's after 30-some years living in Gettysburg, which is not very many, I don't think. Mm. Um, and, I, and when I first started working for the Park Service and living in those houses, I had several experiences. But I don't think they were a lot. Of course, and my wife Carol reminds me, you, whenever you go out on an investigation and you get EVP, you're having an experience. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. And I have about seven or 800 examples of EVP. Right. So I guess that would count, too. But... Um, as far as personal experiences, I've, I've had a number of them, some more dramatic than others. Like, give me, give me one of your visuals. I mean, okay, we ha- um, we run our uh, the Ghost of Gettysburg candlelight walking tours, mm-hmm. um, and we started them back in uh, 1994, and then we bought a building in Gettysburg in 1997 to run the tours out of. And the building mm-hmm. is a historic Civil War era building. Okay, and um, when we first started renovating it for uh to fix it up to to structurally to have thousands of people go through right um we had some experiences and we were talking about that sure too about how when you you uh and it seems universal in gettysburg when you uh do a renovation on a building you get ghostly activity right an increase in ghostly activity and so that had all been done and we had been running tours through there for a, a, a number of years, and uh, I was I was actually closing the place up. And there's one back door, and I went to the back door and I closed the door, and the lights were dim. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a figure standing in a corner. Hmm. I I didn't want to look directly at it because I'd always heard a lot of this stuff happens in your, in your peripheral vision. Right. Didn't want to look. And I, but so I got some details, and it looked like uh, I definitely got the impression it was a female because it had a veil mm. kind of drooping over her face, a long, straight skirt, and I remember seeing pleats in it. Wow! So that's the detail I got. Yeah, that's good. And the, the the probably the most striking thing about the figure is that she was tiny. Yeah. She was probably four ten. I mean, just huh. tiny. 
And of course, I'm going. The mark, don't look, don't look, you know, don't look. Oh, I can't take it. Don't look, and she, and it's gone. she just mm. disappeared. So that was that was my visual, and it wasn't mm. a shadow person. It wasn't, you know, because I saw too much detail. Do you have any feeling from it at all? I mean, a lot of people say they, you know, they feel a certain way when things no. like this happen. No, I did not. Do you, do you have a sense? Uh, and we've talked about this on the show a lot. Do you? And as I said. Before the interview, you're our first ghost guy that we've had on the show, uh-huh. and we plan to have a lot more people on. Uh-huh. Uh, Jeremy and I have talked ad nauseum about the feeling when you're seeing a, 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 an object in the sky or, quote-unquote, aliens, whatever the hell that means, uh, these beings, whatever they are. Right. Um, there's a sense of like a, a, almost like, a, a bu- like everything's buzzing, like a hyper-reality type of mm-hmm. feel to this kind of thing. In a ghost situation, have you ever had someone describe that kind of thing where they're seeing something so clearly that can't be there? Their brain is going, that's not possible, but your eyes are going, oh, yeah, it is, because <laughs> it's yeah. right there. Yeah, There's that I, disconnect of something's not right and something feels weird and everything just kind of gets to that hyper-reality type of feeling. The only thing I've had, I mean, maybe I'm, tr- maybe I'm too objective, you know, because... All I was trying to do was gather information mm-hmm. from what I was seeing out of the corner of my eye, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, the discipline went and I looked. Right. Okay. Maybe maybe I'm a little too curious. Right. You know, but the, the only thing that's ever happened like that is is the proverbial uh, willies. You know, the chill. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I still get that yeah. um, when I'm, and, and there's no reason for it. You know, you walk into a you um, through this house, this very house. Sometimes I'll go upstairs, and I'm like. You know, I, I do. I just don't feel like I ought to be here. Mm. Because, and I know the ghosts. I mean, we have you know, right. probably three or four that are resident ghosts, uh-huh. and then you know, several more that come and go. Mm. This all started back when I was a park ranger. We used to uh, drive around the battlefield on patrol, and we get around about three times an eight-hour shift. Right. And periodically, it'd be a beautiful night, so we'd stop. And it's after ten that place is closed. You know, the battlefield is is closed. So we'd stop at at the at Devil's Den, and I'd get out of the car and walk around because it's a beautiful night. I'm like, yeah, this is you know, I got a gun and I got a radio. Yeah. Know. And then there are other times when I'm driving through, and I'm like, you know, it's a just a lovely night. I think I'm going to stop tonight. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you huh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, ah, maybe in which case, it. that radio and gun mean absolutely <laughs> shit. <laughs> So, right. so I just drive through and say, well, maybe next time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that still happens to me. But in, in terms of, like, that disconnect, I have to say n- not yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. So that's, that's always something I've been curious with with ghost reports. And, it, I mean, I know that, that what I have seen in my life that I could say I think that was what people would call a ghost. Mm-hmm. It, there's, a, there's a definite funny feeling about it in the sense that, Something doesn't feel right about it. I used to uh, trap, uh, nuisance trap for a state of Maryland, and uh, this is many, many years ago. And one of the places, which ended up being where I ran a guitar shop uh, out of, where I built guitars, I uh, ended up renting one of the buildings. This is in, a, uh, I guess, more or less like a compound of an inn. The, the inn itself uh, was horrendously old. My grandmother, who was probably the most no-nonsense person ever, told me it was haunted. Told me she heard things in there mm. and saw things in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, never went into any great elaboration about it. But I got up, uh, and, and when you when you 
nuisance trap fox or whatever, you essentially you're relocating them. So you can't leave them in a leg hold trap for more than a few hours. We know they come out around 3, 4 a.m. You're out there at 4.30. Mm-hmm. still dark. And I saw a, a man that was uh, standing by the corner of the hedgerow. And, um, and to be honest with you, I was not trapping in a perfectly legal manner in the sense that I did not have my leg hold set in water. Uh, so I was a little worried. Is this the, is this the DNR police? Is this somebody? So I said, Hey there, how you doing? And he began to walk away from me up towards the house. I thought, okay, is this a neighbor? Who is this? Well, no matter how quickly I ran and he wasn't, he was, his legs were not moving fast enough for how fast he was going up this hill. And the fact that I, in the fact that I couldn't catch him. Mm-hmm. I could not catch up to him. Mm-hmm. When I got to the top of the hill, you could see 360 all the way around you. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to run. And he was not there. So I knocked on the door of the house and he says, oh, yeah, you saw a resident ghost. Um, you know, this was a, a Civil War stopover and mm-hmm. there you have it. I had a distinct disconnect between that thought of, why can't I catch this guy? How, how is he... He's not walking fast, and I'm running. I'm literally out of breath and heart pounding, and he's just kind of every time I look up, he just looks like he's at a normal pace. Mm-hmm. But I can't catch him, and that to my mind just kind of went eh, and yeah, yeah. And there's that disconnect where I'm like, what the hell is going on? What it just becomes everything becomes very surreal in that kind of situation. And I don't know, you know, how often you hear that kind of. You know, just the, just this this, or whether or not people in the ghost area of things are even willing to admit something like that. Like, do the do they or would they say? I feel I felt a disconnect. There seems to be so oh, much yeah. focus on what someone sees and how they saw it and where it was and what color and other people do. Yeah, in in the field. Yeah, other people do. It just doesn't happen to me. Right. You know what I mean, um, mo- uh, in particular, um, the people. And I, and I don't want to use the word psychic, uh, you know, the sensitives that we sure. use. Because, you know, and you say psychic, people think it's a woman with a tarot card ball yeah. and, a, you know, and a, and a caftan and a, right. and a right, right. Our, the people we use, the mediums we use, uh, look like soccer moms. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, and literally they are. They have kids and stuff like that. Um, and, they're, and they're fairly reluctant to, to – and they don't charge. Oh, great. You know, and so – they're just, but they are remarkable in what they come up with. Some of the mm. things that they come up with, um, and uh, they do get these disconnect, bizarre feelings. Feelings, in fact, in some cases, uh, for example, we we thought one day we'd kill Lane. <laughs> <laughs> we took her into a place called Lady Farm okay. at Gettysburg. Now, the Lady Farm was a it's a beautiful stone house. Uh, organization called the Gettysburg Battlefield Preservation Association. The place went up for auction, and and we knew that it was going to become a McDonald's or something. Yeah, yeah. So they bought it in 140 acres, house, barn, and it was literally the extreme left flank of the Confederate Army. Johnson's division launched their assault on East Cemetery Hill on the night of July 2nd from the Lady Farm. Hmm. Once they got into battle, of course, the wounded started trickling back. The barn soon was filled. Right. The house was filled with wounded. And the front room 
became the operating room. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I couldn't describe a Civil War hospital operating room without grossing everybody out. It was absolutely right. the most, it was a butcher shop. Right, yeah. And um, when we brought Lane in, we, we didn't tell her anything. You know, she knew she was, so, you know, Battlefield of Gettysburg and everything. Sure. We took her into the house, and she was, she was getting her impressions. And, you know, some of them could be documented by history. Others couldn't because she was picking up things that you really have to dig for. Right. You know, the fact that there was a uh, uh, an African-American in the back. She saw him over this over the cauldron, you know, huh. cooking rags right. um, to, cl- to clean them out. Um, when she got to that front room, and she is an empath. In other words, uh, it's emotion that she reads most hmm. clearly. And she just, her throat just, just stopped working. Hmm. And uh, she, her asthma just absolutely kicked in. And she had to leave the room. We took her out and got her out of there. And, and that has happened to other people in that room. Hmm. And because that was the, you know, the, the probably where the most emotional energy uh, in the entire house was expended. I mean, you're, they were the, you're, and in fact, even in the room, if you go in there, someone had taken some luminol right. and sprayed it around, and you can literally see the, the where the blood pooled. Oh yeah, in different yeah. areas. Uh, and I had one of my most bizarre experiences ever. Oh, do tell. Do oh, you tell. Right oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I was, I was, um, I had been on the board of directors for the uh, Gettysburg Battlefield Preservation Association for a number of years, and now I'm on the advisory committee, and. Um, uh, they had a caretaker out there. And one day I got a phone call and the guy said, Mark, if you want to see, I know you're in a ghost. If you want to see a paranormal thing happening right now, come on out to the lady farm. Who can pass All right, out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Load the stuff in the van and out I go. And, uh, got out, got out there. And, you know, I'm thinking as I'm walking up, I'm going, well, I don't want to get myself into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to open the door and stuff's going to fly out at me. Like, you know, right. Uh, Stay Puft Man or something. <laughs> right. So uh, he opens the door, and we walk in the hallway, and I said, what am I looking for? He said, I'm not going to say a word. So I just want you to go, just come into this room. So we walked into the, the front room, that, that operating room, mm-hmm. and I'm looking around, and I look down, and on the floor, in front of the fireplace, were about four or five long streaks of rust-colored liquid. Hmm. Along the edges of the liquid, a clear serum seemed to be separating out, hmm. and all spattered all around it were droplets. And you could see uh, rust-colored droplets, and you could see in the middle that it was already starting to crystallize. You could see little little chunks huh. in there. And I'm looking at this, and so I'm videotaping everything, and taking uh, still photographs. I look up at the ceiling, it's white, washed. I said, did, did pipes break down below this? He goes, there aren't any pipes down there. So I'm looking at this, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I said, do you, do you have, uh, I need a tissue. And so he brought a, a, a couple of tissues, and I dipped it in this liquid. And I, and I got a baggie, and I put it in a baggie, and I put it in my, my camera case. And uh, I was there about 20 minutes. I said, my work here is done. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it is, so huh. off I go. Uh, he says, well, I got work to do out of field, so okay. About two hours later, I get a phone call. Same guy. Two words. It's gone. Huh. I'm like, 
throw the stuff back in the car, out I go. So I, I drove up, and the first thing he said, he says, i got to apologize. You might smell a little alcohol on my breath. Uh-huh. He says, I walked into this room after being out in the field. I saw what's in there. I had to take a couple shots. Uh-huh. It's okay. You're forgiven. <laughs> so in we go. Right. And I'm, I'm looking, and it's absolutely immaculate. And I, and I said, and I'm filming this. He said, this is where it was, right? I said, yeah, it was right there. And he takes his hand, and he's like, he says, it was right in here. And he says, what's this? There's just an absolutely thin, thin layer of dust Holy on his fingertips where that liquid that had been. Again. Well, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Did that sample disappear? Where was the tissue, yeah. Yeah, so I went out in the car and got the, the tissue, and it was still there. Hmm. Now, the GBPA is pretty well connected. So we sent the sample off to one of the most prestigious forensic labs in the country. Okay. And it came back, three weeks later, came back. The substance, the liquid, was blood. Huh. The species was human. Huh. Gone. Completely gone. Disappeared. And yet we can go in there and I can point out areas where the blood is, you know, you can't get blood out of wood. Yeah, and, yeah. And you can see the places where there was blood. They use luminol to show where the blood was from 140 years ago. All right. No trace of this. No trace whatsoever except for the blood that I removed from that area. Huh. Now, that was one of the most bizarre things that's ever happened to me. That is truly weird. Yeah. But there was, aside from the stuff on the floor, there was nothing around the room. There Were, were there sounds? Were there... No. Nothing, just no. that on the floor. Just that visual evidence on the floor that vanished. Um, huh. I, yeah, I don't have an explanation for it. I know that he, you know, you say, well, yeah, maybe he came in and cleaned it up. Right. Well, first of all, he was out in the field, and, you know, if he did, he could. You can't clean it off the floor. Right. You know, human blood, I mean, there's still blood stains there from the battle. Right. Yeah, well, he creeps and down that, in the grain of that wood, and you might as well forget it. Where is he going to get that amount of human blood? Well, yeah, there's another. I mean, thing. this is this is this is a flow, right. Of it, I mean, this is nasty, huh? So I, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm befuddled by that. But that happened out there, um, at the lady farm. That's ridiculous. I have a two part yeah. question. Mm-hmm. Um, and part one is: Do do all uh, ghost researchers agree on the various categories of type of activity, such as uh, you know this, um, the thing of of sort of like a recording playing over and over again on a loop, uh, something that you can speak to and it'll respond to you and knows that you're there, et cetera, et cetera. Do, are there a finite number of categories that everyone agrees uh, exist? Uh, pretty much. I mean, you know, there, there are, for example, intelligent hauntings or inter- interactive hauntings where they will actually um, communicate with you or recognize you at least. Um, and, and, and acknowledge your presence. Then there are residual hauntings where they just kind of act like um, a DVD being played right. over and over. They're they're ob- uh, oblivious to your presence. Mm-hmm. Um, there are and 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 um, some people say they're warps, which is like a rip, a tear in time. Which actually, some most of these can be classified as. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you're looking at a whole um, unit of soldiers standing there. Was that a, you know? Is that a tear in time right. that you're actually looking through that, and then it closes, and it's, that's why they disappear? Well, possibly. Um, poltergeist activity. Everybody agrees that's the noisy ghost. 
door slamming, um, things moving off the, you know, flying off the wall and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, uh, Jeremy, the, um, there are, we all agree that there are certain kinds of hauntings, uh, certain kinds of activity that's pretty standard. Uh, in the in the that 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 you can classify. So with mm. something like EVPs, is there ever a crossover where uh, you're you're in a place where the activity is the recorded on a loop DVD type activity, but you're uh, speaking to something that's responding to you, like a literal back and forth conversation. Well, oh. just, just that that the EVP uh, doesn't what, the activity of the EVP doesn't match up with the type of visual ghostly activity that, that people are reporting. Occasionally, but I would venture to say probably 95% of all the EVP that you get is um, is a response to a question that you ask. Periodically, you'll get EVP that's a non-sequitur, doesn't fit in. Mm-hmm. Not too often. Most of it is an answer but when uh, you to, get an EVP of uh, an answer to a question in a space where what's reported is merely something that looks like a scene on a loop, where you wouldn't expect to to have your question answered, I'm still not sure. I, you know, I understand what <clears throat> kind of like kind of like you're recording a period of time that really isn't shouldn't be there. And well, if if you're in a place um, where what people are reporting is like you said, like a, a scene that's on a loop, that it, it's just sort of like a Civil War battle scene that people tap into, or uh, they think it's a recreation, but they're really watching the actual battle. If you're in a place like that, where that's what people consistently report, could you get an EVP uh, question and answer session in a place like that, or would it have to be where uh, the ghost activity is more like a poltergeist or more like you know something that actually looks like it interacts with you? Oh, right. No, it it doesn't seem to um, be site-specific or history-specific. Maybe the the person who advanced um, the study of EVP the most in the United States, uh, Sarah Eastep from Annapolis, uh, started off in her study with one of those old Uh reel-to-reel. I know my dad had one of them, you know? And she, uh, uh, so here she is in her study, and she's asking questions. And it's actually started off with her um, uh, she heard about EVP and she said, all right, I'm going to test this. I'm going to give it one week. I'm going to ask questions. And if I get in, if I don't get an answer, I'm done after a week. So twice a day, morning, evening, she did this. She got to about Thursday, kept asking the same questions for two hours. Is anybody there? Is anybody there? Is anybody there? Finally, she got bored. Finally, one night she said, what's it like where you are? Right. And she got it. Finally got a response. And the response was beauty. Huh? And she heard that word, and that launched a career. Where did that come from? And she did the rest of her, most of the rest of her um, EVP studies in her home. Huh. And others have done that too. We, I just like to go to the battlefields because, as I, as I told you, Jeff, I think the battlefields are huge laboratories. Yeah, yeah. For, para, for paranormal, for ghost studies. Yeah. And so, and the other thing that I can do there, Jeremy, is, for example... Um, if I go to, say, the triangular field, now I wrote a book about a guy who died in the triangular field, and I have the roster of his comrades, right. so I can ask questions of, of specific individuals right. who were killed okay. in that okay. field, and if, it, if I get appropriate, and I know a little bit about their background. So here you are in a situation where 
you you know who fought there, you know their names, and you can ask a question like uh, 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 Lewis Smith, what state are you from? And you get Georgia. Right. That's a home run. Right. Because right. the 15th of Georgia mm. fought in that field. Um, we got one of those at the um, um, Cashtown Inn. Okay. Down now, in the basement. Triangle Field, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm sure you know, um, did we have Confederates on top of the hill and Union below? At the beginning of the battle, you had the Union soldiers up on top. Okay. Okay. They were in Devil's Den. Then um, Confederates swept. You know how you look down the triangular field? Yeah. Confederates actually, now you, now it's open because they cut down a lot of the trees that were That's not what supposed yeah. to be there. You can literally see all the way over to the to the to Seminary Ridge where they began their advance. Okay. So they came down into that valley and then started up the triangular field. And uh, eventually then they drove the Union troops away from the top okay. of Devil's Den. Uh, those cannons there, that's Smith's Battery, and they had a serious firefight uh, up there on the, on the cannons. The Confederates finally captured them. The 124th New York was up on top of the hill. Counter-charged. Two of their officers uh, were were killed, and right. you know. So, but eventually, then after several charges up the hill, the Confederates then held the Devil's Den. I, I remember somebody at the at the park at the time when my wife and I and, and a pair of our friends went up there, saying that this spot has got to be one of the most brutal spots on that battlefield because you've got. You know, it was all pretty bad as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't yeah, want to that, be there. That statement can be made just about any place. Yeah, but when you think about guys trying to charge up a hill, yeah, well, that's and being met with cannonballs. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. You know, I mean, uh, I mean that that kind of brutality. I mean, I've, I've I I can only picture cannonballs halfway rolling down a hill or something. I mean, just that alone. Well, by the time they got to that point, the guns were firing what they call canister, mm-hmm. which were. Tin cans basically filled with iron balls, so they became a oh. giant shotgun at packed infantry attacking. That you know, it was it was beyond brutal. Horrible. It was you know the, the accounts when you read them, and and they they're actually they kind of toned them down a little bit because you know they didn't want to tell. I mean, that's it's pretty dark stuff. I it, mean, it really, really is. Uh, I mean, you can watch uh, Glory and all those other movies as much as you want. I mean. Probably the closest. As they say, nothing like being there. <laughs> probably the closest was the beginning of uh, of uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's yeah. hard to watch. Yeah. Um, and while we're on Triangular Field, um, I'm sure at this point, and if, if nobody out there has seen this footage yet, I'm going to put it up. But we're, I didn't get to ask Mark this before we started taping. Um, so you're getting his, uh, his, his first response to me on this, too. Um, Delia Underwood, there was the footage that was shot uh, that is probably, I mean, to my eyes, and I, I, you know, I've not got a a pristine copy of this by any stretch. Um, They were shooting across Triangular Field into the woods, I think, that are down at the bottom of the hill, or were there. Mm -hmm. And they've got what looks like men walking in the trees. And it's just about the most freakish thing I've ever seen on tape. Uh, they were on the History Channel. They did get uh, some skeptic to look at it who dismissed it as they probably set up a projector and were projecting a, uh, an image onto the trees, <laughs> which I had to laugh at because I'm thinking to myself, 
what kind of moron isn't going to see somebody setting up this big apparatus? Because you'd need an opaque projector to do that, or LCD at the least, right. to run footage like that. But just as we were talking about the residual, I got the distinct impression that we're seeing like this back and forth, like this skipping right. almost. And it did appear like you'd see him walk up. And then you'd see him walk up again. Right. And then you'd see him walk up again, and eventually it stopped. Yeah. Was it looped? It wasn't looped, though. No. Oh, okay. I mean, this seemed to be... What, I mean, you, have you seen this? I mean, yes, I have. Yeah. I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, is that... Well, two things. First of all, there is a trail back there. Right. All right? It's the Boy Scout trail. Uh-huh. All right? And now... But it, but it runs across the back, so anybody... And by the time the Boy Scouts get there... They're tired, so they just walk and they just they yeah. keep going. Okay, uh, right. And um, but the way that was, if I remember correctly, they had uh, figures actually leaving the triangular field and then then cutting back. Right. And that was that's an unusual. Uh, that would be more of a military move. Right. In other words, they're retreating from the triangular field and heading. Right. Heading back to reorganize, regroup, or something. Right. And the guy, I mean, I, I saw him interview the guy. And yeah, he sure didn't seem like a, you know, <laughs> I mean, he's just a regular guy. He didn't, he didn't seem to me like he was any kind of electronics. I, I, I don't he, think his sophistication for visual acuity would have been very good. <laughs> no, uh, you know, so I mean, and the guys, you know, it's I, he seemed fairly honest. Yeah, um, yeah, I have seen other f- video of figures in that field as well, and they're kind of. Kind of jerky, you yeah. Know, as their their legs are kind of disjointed and moving huh. and things like that. Um, Is there footage out there that's really good that no one's ever seen that you've kind of being the guy people kind of confide in you and say, "Mark, don't show this to anybody. I don't want the publicity from this." No, um, the, the I mean, it may be out there. Maybe somebody's afraid to show it to anybody. But right. um, the uh, I, I've seen a lot of very very good. Still photos, uh-huh. okay. Yours, the one you showed me, that's right. remarkable. Well, of course, that came from a video. Yeah, um, Scott Crownover mm-hmm. ha- uh, um, has started to has developed a te- technique of taking photographs right. of what appear to be spirit entities in the daylight. Um, he the, the story briefly behind that was that he got mad because the National Park Service at Gettysburg uh, started to close the battlefield early. Right. And so he said they took away the night, so we're going to develop this to do it in the daylight. He knew from my stories that half of them happened during the day. It doesn't right. have to be night for ghosts to come out. Yeah, just to it just has to be night for you to film a ghost uh, program for TV. Right, right. You need that cool green yeah. effect on everybody. You yeah, know? You, you know. I guess it it affects. It doesn't affect the ghosts. It affects the ratings. Right. Um, sure. Yeah. So um, he developed this technique. And began taking photographs, and he has some absolutely remarkable photos. There's one of Devil's Den, yeah. where, and he always he has a spotter behind him, and he'll take three or four photographs of one place, and then he'll turn the uh, uh, camera. It's on a tripod because it's a little bit slower, and then he'll take some more, and they'll take some. And when you put that on your computer and just click through them, any anomaly just just bursts out. Right. And he's taking these photographs one a second. Roughly, and this one um, he took, and it's pretty remarkable because it shows a figure, and you can see legs, and you can see what appears to be one of those capes. You know, right. they've worn those like a duster type thing, half cape, okay, you know, that type yeah. of thing. And um, 
the remarkable thing about it is that the sun's out, it's bright, and you can see the shadow of his legs, and that's it. Right. You can't see the shadow of the top part of him. Right. And then the very next frame, he's gone. And if you're familiar with that area, you know no one could have moved out of no, there's no frame way. into Where are you going to run? No, you can't. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, he'd have seen him, first of all, and yeah. he had a spotter. Then um, his protege, Craig Rupp, he taught him how to do this, and he went up on Little Round Top and was taking a photograph. And it's, I'm sure you're familiar with the Warren statue, that statue on top of the rock. Yes. He actually was using that to kind of block out the, the sun. Okay. And he took a bunch of pictures. And when he, not developed, and when he put them on his computer, right. he has a photograph of a man and. And this is a man in a duster mm. with one of those uh, like sugar bowl man. hat type things, you know. Definitely 19th century mm. outfit. And the interesting part is is that his legs, his feet are actually below ground in the 1863 surface as opposed to where it is now because they had to build it up, you know. And, and um, well, see, that's the kind of thing that – See, I would look at that, and, and this is why I always ask this question, especially when I'm talking about UFO photos, is how far is somebody going to go to fake stuff? I know. It's ridiculous yeah. when you start thinking about the fact that the ground is now elevated by so many inches, right. and this guy's legs are disappearing in the ground. They're virtually cut off. Um, um, yeah, and the other thing is you would have to have someone else involved. Oh, yeah. And, and how long does – I mean – one person has trouble keeping a secret. People like to talk. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, uh, I, I think the one that you're talking about, I remember seeing one on TV. It's a brief, ever so brief spot. I think you were on this program, and right. he was on it right after you. Yes. And there was the, the shot of a guy clearly wearing, like, the, 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 the slouch hat type right. thing, and he's standing to the left of the photograph, yes. and he's looking this way, yeah. but there's no bottom on him at all. Yeah. The one that was taken at the base of, uh, I guess, kind of from where you drive up, he walked out this way to the rock formation. And you clearly see this guy's legs, like you said, with the shadow. No shadow from the rest of him. And the top of him looks like it's literally been stretched and ripped. It, yeah. it, there's a blurring effect to all of that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I thought they were some pretty astounding photographs. And I immediately said, i got to find this guy. Uh -huh. And I... Like everything else, things get in the way. So I'm going to have to get you to, to hook us up with him because I think that would be a fascinating guy to talk to. I'm with. sure he'd be glad to talk to you. I but, have another uh, EVP question. Hmm? Yeah, <laughs> just, just yeah. Just one more. Um, <laughs> when you um, – has anyone – have you or has anyone uh, gone to a place where, again, the visual is that it's on a loop or or the visual is something that is repeated, that, that people constantly report, those soldiers walking in the background in that same spot? Has anyone ever gone there and done an EVP and asked why uh, why is this scene playing out over and over again? Not that I know of. Um, you know, when you do EVP, or at least when I do EVP, uh, you have to look at it kind of from the point of view of who you're trying to communicate with. Mm -hmm. And it bothers me when I see people going into a place yelling and screaming, hit me. Smack me. Show me your presence, yeah, you know? Per vacation. Yeah. Imagine yourself in your favorite comfortable chair, <laughs> you know, and you just and all of a sudden you start hearing this voice in your house. If anybody's here, I want you to hit me or smack yeah. me. I mean, would you talk to him? Right. I wouldn't. <laughs> hey, <you know>? asshole. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Um, our, uh, you know, our philosophy is, 
you know, and, and first of all, it's very. It was a Victorian era, mm-hmm. um, and so it was a little more um, staid than than we are today. Uh, I always like to um, address soldiers by their rank, mm-hmm. major. Right. Uh, would you mind if we spoke with you tonight? Uh, try and ask permission. Um, so, t- I guess to answer your question, Jeremy, the, I've never thought to ask. You know, why do you people keep showing up here? I mean, I, I suppose it would be a legitimate question. I may do that next time. Mm-hmm. I'm usually busy asking them. Could you give me some concrete information? Um, have you ever been? Uh, you know, I know because sometimes our our uh, mediums will tell us. Look, we have a bunch of soldiers here from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Okay, have you ever been to Macon? Have you ever been to Atlanta? Mm-hmm. What'd you think of Atlanta? Uh, sometimes you try, try and tweak them a little bit. You know, I hear the. Uh, the, the Georgia peaches down there are all the pretty girls, right, right. you know, yeah. and uh, you know things like that. Do you miss your Do you miss your wife? Wife? Do you miss your girlfriend? Um, things like that, hmm. and we'll get answers to that. Um, as I said, down in the uh, in the basement of the Cash Town Inn, Lane got a uh, an impression of a soldier named Andrew, and he was uh, all she got was he was a Confederate. Hmm. And so I asked him, I said, Andrew, what state are you from? And you can hear four distinct syllables, Mississippi. Hmm. So, How viable do you think EVP really is? I mean, we hear from, from a lot of people, I mean, because I, I, I told you about the experience of Lisa coming into this very room and having somebody in her ear. Mm-hmm. I came in, immediately booted this beauty up and started asking questions. Mm-hmm. And... and, and I mean, we were hearing things in the static, and the interesting thing about them was is that I kind of cropped them out, and we play them over and over, and we listen to what we were hearing. You clearly hear a male voice. I mean, I clearly hear mm-hmm. this. We upload. I uploaded them to the internet. Everybody's like, I, I hear nothing. I got yeah. static. Jeremy called me up and said, "Are you okay?" <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's like he's like this friend of mine uploaded all these EVPs and they all sound like static. And I'm like, yeah, well, why don't you just shut up? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I mean, and I got to say that the night that we recorded and listened to them, I heard things in there that the next morning when I got up, I did not hear or I couldn't pick out. I could still hear parts, and I did save them, of what I distinctly hear as something that is a male voice. Mm-hmm. We had literally turned off everything in the house. Mm-hmm. The ceiling fans, it was, you think it's hot in here now? This is nothing. Mm-hmm. It was boiling in here. Lisa's sitting on the floor. I'm sitting here. Stone silence. And in that stone silence, you can hear syllables. Uh-huh. I don't know what it is. I can't hardly tell what he's saying. Yeah. But I know I hear something. I mentioned that to some people on our message board, and a lot of them came back with, uh, and one gentleman in particular made a, a pretty good point, I think, in that you know anything with a wire is an antenna, and there are signals that can be gotten in through that wire as as a you know makeshift antenna to get onto digital media or analog media. Mm-hmm. But when it's answering you, I mean, well, isn't there a certain amount where you got to kind of this you know dispel saying? This is a radio signal I'm picking up when it says, "Yeah, I've been to Macon." And <laughs> yeah, well, first, of, yeah, first of all, you know, I've, like I said, I bought 800, 900 uh, samples of EVP, mm-hmm. and I have never, ever gotten, you know, 
Yankees six, Red Sox two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've never gotten <laughs> right. uh, preparing to land on runway thirty seven. You know, right. never, right. never. Right. And it's always been, you know, apparent answers to questions. What year is it? You know, and you get sixty two or you know, mm-hmm. what? Who's president? I got. Um, I was down in um, uh, Union Mills. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Jeb Stewart and his cavalry had gone through there the night, couple nights before the Battle of Gettysburg. So I was, I was, I didn't, even though I wrote a book about him, I didn't feel comfortable asking questions of Jeb Stewart. Right. Um, he, he had a, he had an aide on his staff by the name of and Major Andrew Reed Venable. So I started asking him. Right. And I said, um, Major Venable, um, did you ride in with General Stewart? And of course, it's total silence. I, I sit there for forty-five seconds in total silence, and the, and the recorder is is on on voice activation. So it's really weird when you're standing there in total silence, and all of a sudden you see the recorder start to record. You know, huh? Then I ask uh, Major Venable, "Who's president?" Once again, I, I sit there in silence. Well, when you play it back, I hear I say, "Major Venable, did you write in when General Stewart?" And almost immediately, you hear a voice go, "I did." Hmm. Huh. Then, when I ask who's president, you hear a voice go, Jefferson, Dave. Huh. And, of course, that was his president, not Abraham Lincoln. Right. Jefferson right. Davis was. Hmm. Um, so it's, um, you know, those are, those are specific questions and specific answers to those questions. Yeah. That, uh, and, and this is why I like to combine the history you know, with the questions and and the and the research. So um, in the EVP, another thing that happened to me: we were doing an investigation at the uh, Gettysburg uh, Hotel. Mm-hmm. The Gettysburg Hotel, uh, part of it, the ballroom, used to be a bank, mm-hmm. and the vault is still there. And Lane and Carol, my wife, and I went into the vault because Lane felt that there was a, a presence in that vault. Mm-hmm. And so I was in there. And I was getting EVP. And um, this is when we were filming Mysterious Journeys, as a matter of fact. Okay. And um, I went out for a little while, and then I said, i got to go back in there and try to get some more EVPs, because I thought of a couple more questions. I went back in, nothing. Hmm. Now, first of all, that vault, that bank vault, was like a a Faraday cage. Mm, I mean, the walls are four feet thick. Right. So I wasn't getting any stray radio waves in there. Right. And then when I went in there the second time, and got skunked, got nothing, that tells you something, too. Right. And that says that whatever I was getting the EVP from the first time wasn't there anymore. Right. It left. Right. Um, and that that is also, to, when I do not get anything, um, that's important. Huh. Because it means whatever, in other words, it's just not, Static. It's just not something that's naturally floating around. Right? Floating around. When you know you get, I get probably nine times out of ten, I do get EVP mm-hmm. when I ask specific questions to to specific armies or soldiers or what have you. Right. So, do you ever get the? Uh, and I think back, and we'll we'll talk about this in a minute because I want to get your opinion on this stuff too. But I think back to an episode of Ghost Hunters where they went into a. Uh, a hotel where a European princess had passed away, and this was like her favorite place in the world to be. Her bed is still there, and I remember them walking in and and saying, "Princess, are you here?" You heard nothing. 
but their EVP came back with a, a decidedly European accented female voice saying, yes, I'm here. Where are you? Do you ever get that kind of EVP in Gettysburg to where somebody's saying, who is that? Did anybody hear that? Or, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've tossed around this, this idea before uh-huh. that uh, by focus of intent, by whatever means, are we literally talking through time to these people? Are they standing there in that abandoned field house watching for snipers and they hear a voice and they go, do you hear that? I mean, do you ever get that well, apparently, apparently they are occupying the same space, in mm-hmm. essence, that we are, uh, but in perhaps, you know, for lack of a better term, a parallel universe that mm-hmm. we can't visualize, that we can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, are apparently little warps, right. little tears, and um, I'm not 100% convinced that the EVP is electromagnetic in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, or that ghosts operate that way. Okay. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is, how they manipulate um, these these devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, they must look strange to them. I'm standing with standing there with a little silver box. Yeah. Do you think hand. they can perceive you at all being there besides audible? According to um, our sensitives, yeah, they they can see. They us. see you. Yeah. Huh. They see us. They see each other, too. See, that, that's always like been the question where I said if I was ever face-to-face with something, barring, uh, you know, failing my pants and running, <laughs> uh, I, think, <laughs> I think one of the first things I'd probably ask is, where are you? Uh, what, are you what, what are they seeing? I mean, what, yeah. what do you see? I find it curious and probably never get the answer to this, but I'm often, I often wonder, they, do they see it as it was then? at the time of their death, or do they see it as now? And if they do see it as now, you know, should we be telling these people that, hey, what I'm holding in my hand is not of the devil? (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you're safe, you know. Yeah. Well, then again, if they've seen cars and planes and (laughs) Thomas Edison, they know that voices can be recorded. I mean, they they may have been witness to, uh, you know, a large bit of history, Mm. you know, from the time they died to the present, right? That we have not seen, we're aware of. You know that that you can record things in these little silver boxes, and maybe it's not such a far fetched thing for them, anyhow. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, we don't know. Uh, Lane, I know, one time asked one of the soldiers. <clears throat> she said, "What do you What do you look at when you see yourself? What do you see?" She said, and he said, "Well, I'm I'm a soldier. You know, mm-hmm. I see what I saw when I when I." Lived here. Do, do they? I mean, this is this is often the question asked and and postulated by a lot of people: is that these these entities or whatever you want to call them, they don't know that they're not of the living anymore. Do you find that, or do they, most of these people that are there that you hear or people see or these manifestations of whatever, do they know? Do you Apparently, think? Apparently, some of them don't hmm. know that they're dead, hmm. um, and. Because it, maybe it happens so quickly. Mm. There's that always that denial. It's it's you know the ser- several stages of death when someone dies that you love. Mm. There's one of the first ones is denial. No, they can't be dead. Right. And obviously, if it's you, you're going to say, "No, I can't be dead. I, I you know I'm, I can still see myself. I'm still around." Right. Time apparently is meaningless. Mm. You know, 
time only matters because yeah. what the hell do you do for 150 years? <laughs> I don't know. It's Kicking around in the grass. I mean, there's only yeah. so many white-tailed deer you can spot by yeah. the moonlight. So, I mean, yeah, it's probably like a dream where 15 seconds feels like an eternity. You know? could be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is all great stuff to postulate. We'll never probably know until we're there. But right, uh, right. in Gettysburg, has there ever been, and one of the big things again with, uh, you know, skeptical people is that they say, well, none of this stuff is, is really verifiable because it's, it's, you can't duplicate it. Can't, you don't have a single place where we have uh, repeatable data happening on a continuous basis, or do we? Well, we do. I mean, you know, if you look at my stories, you see that they're, uh, in all the books that I have, people always ask me, are these all different stories? I'm like, yes, but they're not all different venues. Mm-hmm. Every book has something about Devil's Den in it. Right. Every book has something about certain part you know there's certain parts of the battlefield things happen continually happen over and over and over again mm. um it, and i have i have stories that actually are virtually the same yeah you know that people have seen or heard things yeah. how do the locals with this i mean i, I know that last <laughs> time i was there we went into a like a reenactor shop and you probably know what i'm talking about where uh you know you walk in and it looks like uh uh, Civil War Sunny Surplus. I mean, you walk into this place, and there's uniforms. There's every button, every hat, every epaulet, yep. every saber uh, on the wall. And in the back is apparently the, where the women go to get their outfits to follow the men in, where it's all of these gorgeous gowns and, and period dress. My wife went back there with the girl uh, that, that we were with, and, and the guy, me and the guy were, were up front with the Army stuff. And uh, apparently they had a bell on the end of their door on like a – like a spring, like one of those raw iron coiled springs, and it just kept ringing after they walked in the door. And the girl just kind of like looked up and said, okay, so-and-so, we know you're here. And Lisa said it just stopped. I mean, mm-hmm. are they really blas- that blasé about it, that it's like no big deal to them? Or are, are, are any of them as fascinated with this stuff as we are? It depends on the individuals. You know, mm-hmm. uh, some of the people are, you know, think that the ghost phenomenon in Gettysburg is just a big pain in the butt. <laughs> you know? well, yeah, because you know, and especially the Park Service people, you yeah. know, because they're getting asked all the time. Tell me about the ghosts of Gettysburg, and they, you know, and it used to be it was it was a lot better when I was a park ranger because you know people would come in and they'd say, "Are there any ghosts here at Gettysburg?" And we say, "There are no such things as ghosts, <laughs> as ghosts and not here at Gettysburg." And then we look around to see if there are any bosses around. <laughs> and then we say, "Why? What happened?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. then collect the stories. Sure, Is it still um, like that even after you've uh, written the book. Oh yeah, yeah. They still the Park Service still has a has a uh, negative. Uh, there are no such things as ghost right. policy. But why would they uh, want that tourism money? Well, they're 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 funded separately. They don't they don't need tourism money. I mean, right. you know. Uh, in fact, well, I won't get into that. But uh, they were selling my books for a while. Right. Yeah. I and, know when uh, I was there, they were everywhere. Yeah, the but then then the then uh, there was a decision made in the National Park Service that they weren't going to sell any ghost books. Huh. Which is you know I, I you know I have my own opinions about that. It's folklore. It's teaching history through folklore, as right. far as I'm concerned. And, right. And kids will remember more about uh, the triangular field and the fighting there. Yeah. If you hook it up with a ghost story, that's my opinion. Park Service, for one reason or another, has a different opinion. Um, the weird <laughs> part is they were the best sellers. Yeah. 
So, yeah, you know, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Well, not? I know a friend of mine who goes up there a lot said that, number one, they've closed the battlefields after dark. Mm-hmm. So forget that noise of walking around Devil's Den in the right. dark. That's right. gone. Uh, but the other part is is that even towards dusk, when you can be out there a little bit and they're just kind of starting to scoot you off, is that there's so many freaking people out there. Forget doing EVPs because everybody's at that balcony. Yeah, and did yeah. you see that? And did you see that? It's right. almost ruined it to a right. certain point uh, for, 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 for anybody doing anything unless you've got a special in with a landowner or right. something like well, that. Well, see, that's the nice part about some of the stuff that we do out there. We have uh, special permission and we do we, we what we did is when we did the Mysterious Journeys program, um, we wanted to do a spinoff of that to to get people to give them an opportunity. Mm-hmm. First of all, to stay at the Cash Town Inn mm-hmm. for two nights, to do an investigation of two or three of the places that they saw on TV with the team oh, okay. that they saw on TV. Right. So we have set up four of those with the Cash Town Inn this coming year. So the first night they we do the basement of the Cash Town Inn. Then they can stay up all night if they want. You know, I loan them all my equipment. Right. Just leave it there. And then the next day we do the uh, Lady Farm, uh, the um, Railroad Engine House, which mm. is, we talked about before, is a very, very uh, active area. Mm. And then we do our building. Okay. Because uh, after dark, because that's the one I'm most familiar with, so I don't want to get hurt. Right. So there are places, and, and everyone, everyone thinks, you know, and it's kind of a joke, in Gettysburg, people come into town. They say, "Where's the battlefield?" And the answer is, <laughs> "You're <they're> standing on it." <laughs> right. You know. And yeah. in fact, at our place, for example, um, the the Confederates built a, a barricade across Baltimore Street, right mm-hmm. in front of our building. Right. So they were fighting there. They were fighting in the streets. Yeah. Um, the buildings themselves, uh, out of 400 that were there at the time of the battle, 200 remain. We have more historic buildings in Gettysburg than they have in Williamsburg. Yeah, yeah. Um, and virtually every one of them housed soldiers, either wounded, exhausted, sharpshooters. Right. You know, so every place in Gettysburg is a potential uh, investigation area. Yeah, virtually well, every place. And here's the other thing for people who live like in California, or even we got listeners in Japan and Germany and all these. For you guys listening for this, here's. Here's what I found out when I went there because they. Uh, this is the time before last uh, when I took a ride up with my parents. It had rained the night before, and you know, down at the base of Triangular Field, there's a uh, there was a little like a brook type or, mm-hmm. or an embankment that went down. It had rained. There were bullets on the ground. Mm-hmm. There was stuff everywhere. Yeah. Better not touch it because. Guys like you will arrest us, or it used to be you yeah, yeah, used to will be. arrest us for that. But, I mean, that's literally how – I mean, in so many ways, it's so untouched by time in a lot of ways that, that, that you know, when you've got an embankment that washes out, yeah, they find shattered bone, they find bullets, they find bullets in bone, they find – 1997 was the when they found the last uh, – the most recent, I should say, uh, remains mm-hmm. of a soldier out by the railroad. Out near that hotel you stayed at, yeah. Right. I mean, so it's – and Jenny Wade House, uh, I mean, I stopped by there at, at dark. Is that the same door? Is is that the door with the bullet hole in it? Yeah, I think it is. You know, I, you know, we used to hear that, that it wasn't, but uh, and, yeah, I think it is. I think it's the same because you have an inter- interior door too. Right. You know, and, and, you, and you shine a laser through it, you're going to – it's going to give you a trajectory to some extent. I mean, there was – 
you know, there's a little bit of droppage and windage and stuff like that. Yeah. We don't know where the bullet came from. The farmhouse right. claims that it was their, you know, Garrett window. Uh, we don't. No one really knows for sure. Even they admit right. that. Um, but uh, there are places. Let me put it this way: there are places in Gettysburg that aren't owned by the National Park Service mm-hmm. that you can still do investigations and battle sites as well. Right. There's a place uh, north, uh, uh, northeast of um, well near Stratton Street. Uh, called Coster Avenue, mm-hmm. and it, there was a battle there. There's a battle of the Rickyard out in that area. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, as the Union troops were retreating, it was a fighting retreat. Right. Uh, I used to live on Carlisle Street, mm-hmm. and from my uh, office window, I could see the monuments to the 11th Corps. And my so my backyard yeah. was, in essence, where they retreated, and, and the fields beyond that um, were... Uh, Pristine. I mean, they hadn't been changed in 130 yeah, yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, it's that. It really is that untouched. And and now they've they've removed a lot of woods. They've made this place look as close as they can, I guess, to what it actually looked like when all of this happened. It's so, an ongoing thing, and it's controversial because a lot of people are saying, "Well, you're taking bird habitat and that kind of stuff." But right, they do it at an appropriate time. They do it in the winter when the uh, birds aren't nest. They do it after the birds right are right. done nesting. Right, but uh. And let's face it, it's it's a battlefield. It's a historic battlefield. It's not a bird sanctuary. You know? I, you <laughs> well, know, well, I love they, birds too, but yeah, well, sure. It's, I mean, that's the purpose of the place. When when they did all of that, did you see an upsurge in activity when they were cutting down trees uh, and bulldozing and all of that and kind of tidying up? I've heard that there's there's been a little bit more activity in some of the areas that they they've been. Well, I haven't interviewed any of the. Uh, uh, workers there, but oh, that'd be cool. You know, There's yeah. a book right there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there uh, so we were talking about um, what you think all of this is, um, and and I told you that you know this show we don't we kind of go over the little bits of things like the stories and what people have seen and how they've seen it. But Jeremy and I talk a lot about nature of human perception, the observer on what is being observed, and all that kind of thing a lot. Um, my old saying of, you know, the more you give, the more you get. What do you think all of this, the mechanism of all of this is, or what's your guess to what we're looking at? Yeah, well, I think we're pretty much past the, the, the phase where we have to prove that this phenomenon exists. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does. I don't think there's a doubt in anyone's mind, certainly not in the minds of people who've experienced it. Right. I mean, it's 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 a pretty shocking thing, and you you know because you've went you've had these experiences, and right. so you know hundreds, if not thousands, of other people, especially at Gettysburg, and thousands more around the world through the centuries. So I, I'm pretty, you know we don't have to prove that anymore. But that is a good question. What is what are the mechanics? How does it happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting because we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the interview you had with Rob. Beck, yes, and uh, talking about the geology uh, of an area, and does that have anything to do with it? And there are a couple of things that I thought about when I was listening to that. I didn't get a chance to hear the whole thing, but for example, a friend of mine, Charles Adams, did did hundreds of stories of um, uh, Pennsylvania and and well, actually all over the country. And one of the things he did with Pennsylvania is that just for the heck of it, he took uh, a map mm-hmm. and he and he put where his stories were clustered, and they do come in clusters, okay? And this right. may because that may be because partially it's a it's a population thing. In other words, you're going to have more ghost stories 
in Pittsburgh because there are more people to right. witness it. Okay. So, but the other thing he found out when he and he took a map, a, a mylar map of the uh, iron deposits, mm. and overlaid it, and and they appeared uh, to there appeared to be a uh, correlation hmm. between those. Okay. And I've always thought that in Gettysburg and some of the other battlefields like Antietam, there may be a correlation between uh, the sightings and the and the courts involved. I, in fact, a fellow by the name of Joe Farrell first brought this up to me. He said, I think there may be some correlation between that. And he explained how, you know, the, the, the granite, mm-hmm. which is all over Gettysburg from, from Devil's Den, you can see those rocks are as big as your house, um, and, and, and we know geologically that the granite itself is only about two or three feet below the, the, the plow line. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, granite is filled with quartz. Mm-hmm. And, the, and he said maybe that's what's capturing some of this electromagnetic energy, the ghost electromagnetic magne- magnetic energy. And I'm kind of half listening to him and saying, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know if a rock, how can quartz, how can a rock capture right. or, or be affected by electricity? I said as I looked at my quartz watch <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to find out what time yeah. it was, right? Yeah. Realizing this little piece of quartz in here is vibrating right. tens of thousands of times a second to produce, to make my watch go. Right. And I thought maybe there is something to this. Hmm. So um, uh, I, I know one time I did an experiment, I told you about this, where I strapped a piece of quartz under the back of my Recorder. Right. Maybe that would enhance the EVP that I was getting. I still got EVP, but when I went to turn the recorder off, it didn't respond. Mm. And you can hear me virtually cursing at the recorder. <laughs> right, right. It's not real pleasant. But um, finally it turned off, and I said, geez, I guess, you know, if this one's finally bit the dust, you know. So I, I said, well, wait a minute, though. The only change in this is that I put that quartz on the back. Took the quartz off, and it worked perfectly after fun. that. Um. The other thing that was interesting is I know there's there are tons of stories at Gettysburg. I visited an old Park Service buddy of mine down in Vicksburg, mm-hmm. Mississippi, and I asked him. I said, uh, "Tell me some of the ghost stories out of the battlefield, Terry." He goes, "I've been here thirty years. I don't have one. I haven't heard one of the battlefield itself. Hmm. The town, yeah, not the battlefield." I said, "Okay, question number two: hmm. What's the geology? Where's the bedrock?" Here. He goes, ah, about 100 feet down. This is all alluvial Mississippi mud. Right. Here. You know, this is, there, there, there's no quartz or anything until you go 100 feet down. Now, the question is, how does the electromagnetism get into the quartz? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we know for a fact that there is a, when humans, when humans die, there seems to be a photon mm-hmm. burst, a light shout. I mean, there's a, um, a Polish uh, physicist that did study bodies. He was actually doing work on the uh, Shroud of Turin. Mm. And he realized that human bodies, you know, when we die, there seems to be a burst of, of, of uh, photons, a light, a light shout, he called it. Hmm. And um, so we, and how many times did it happen at Gettysburg? The yeah. other thing we're pretty well convinced is that bones, human bones, when they break, they, they give off a piezoelectric effect. So another burst of electromagnetism, hmm. right? Could that be captured in the quartz in Gettysburg? We know quartz is used for everything from, you know, your computer screen here right. to your DVD player to lasers to whatever. Right. And so could it happen? Well, th- th- yeah, maybe it could. 
But the other question is, what conditions do you need to get it to replay? Right, right. What's the catalyst? Exactly. What What is it? Is it is it is it environmental? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different variables in the environment. Maybe uh, is it is it us? The observer. Yeah. yeah. Is it us? Hmm. I don't know. I, but as we said before, I, I think there the the era where we use parapsychology to study this is over because. Um, how many how many cards can you flip yeah. and get the same? You know, get the, we know that exists. Okay, we know ESP exists, uh, and and I think that we should try using two different studies, uh, two different disciplines, um, uh, neurobiology to find out what's going on inside mm-hmm. our heads, and quantum physics to find out what's going on out there. Right. You know, to to see well, if that as, as soon as quantum physics knows what it's doing. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, they were in good shape. And that's there. There, there goes your experimental stuff. You know, science seems to have gone beyond that because you know, for years and years, four hundred years since Francis Bacon, we had to repeat things and, and experiment with them and make them. Well, string theory, right, is still a theory. Yeah, the, I don't think there's been an experiment done yet. Yeah, on string yeah. theory. Well, I mean, so, science is is, uh, and I'm I'm a, a big reader. I don't know if you are of a guy named Terrence McKenna. He's come up a lot on our show. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, he made the statement that you know science is nothing but, if nothing else, it's it's but uh, full of contradictions, and uh, you know, and that basically all of the other areas of science have physics envy. Uh, because they can always calculate that down to s- such a micro deg- degree of accuracy, whereas mm-hmm. everything else you can't do that with. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm just waiting for, and we've had scientists on the show. We had one on last night uh, who's been in the UFO field since the 50s. We've had NASA engineers and ex-NASA engineers on. Some of these guys talking about having experiences. But they won't talk about them mm-hmm. uh, until they're either out of the the field that they're in, or there it goes again. To, we were Jeremy. We were talking about Gus, uh, George Hansen uh-huh. and uh, beforehand, and and uh, uh, Mr. Nesbitt has, has met George. Um, and you know, I'm curious what you think of that whole trickster element with all of this as well. You know, is is the fact that we can't seem to get a handle on it in any really great degree? Like we can't see a ghost. And go, hold on, let me go get my camera, <laughs> right? You know, and get that definitive thing. I mean, what is it? Why can't we get it? Yeah, um, because there's there's just always that that rock. It's going to slither back under. Yeah, that quick. And and it may be technology. Maybe the technology hasn't caught up mm-hmm. with it yet. But it, it, speaking of scientists, the only thing I have against scientists is when they close their minds. Mm. What kind of a scientist are you if you won't even examine a natural phenomena? Right. You know what I mean? That's and that's what this is. Oh, trust me, concerned. I know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that is not to me that's not much of a scientist when you just say that doesn't exist and you know then you sound like a park ranger. Right. Well, well, <laughs> you know, well and and I hope you know that the scientists are a little bit, you know, right. More Have you had any scientific minded people come to Gettysburg? And- it's very interesting because when I when we started attending these conferences and speaking of the conferences, the the clientele for the conference was uh, very sincere. Um, very interested, but uh, I don't know how to put this. A little different educational level mm-hmm. than some of the people that are coming out now. We've had the, the last few um, 
uh, Mysterious Journeys weekends we've done. We've had uh, college professors. We've had mm. a couple of principals from schools. Mm. We had a neurobiologist from Johns Hopkins. Mm. I've, I've spoken when I was at Lilydale this last year. I spoke to a oh, – and, and, and I, God bless him because he sat through six hours of my talks. Right? <laughs> right? So this guy gets some kind of award. But he was a, an electrical engineer. Huh. And he was fascinated by what's the connection here? Right. What's the connection? Um, so we we have a, a a level of professional that's getting involved in this field now that I think is is going to change a few things if we can keep these people interested. And I think they are. I mean, they're just as curious and confused about what this mm-hmm. is as the rest of us. Wasn't Edison working on a spirit phone? You know, that's – yes, I keep hearing yes and no, you know, that he was, he wasn't. But he – I I was under the impression that he was. And a friend of mine, Catherine Ramsland, uh, was doing an investigation in Fall River, Massachusetts at the at the um, Lizzie Borden house. Oh. And actually stayed in the Lizzie Borden house. And they took her on a, on a little – uh, tour of the house. They went into the basement, and she said that she saw a machine down there that was attributed to Edison. That was there uh, that he invent- had invented for spirit communication. Huh. And so, you know, the question I, you know, I asked her about it. And she said that's what they told me it was. I said, what did it look like? And so she, I can't really remember too much. She just kind of glanced at it. So apparently he was. But I mean, there have been other uh, pioneers uh, in in that field. In, in terms of spirit communication, uh, George Meek, of course, who invented Spiritcom. Mm. Um, there are a couple of um, uh, people who have been uh, have invented other things since then. That I guess maybe the um, one of the more famous ones is Frank's box, uh-huh. Frank Sumption, uh, and then a spinoff to that, the Mini Box, and uh, and these are interesting uh, devices because. They are apparently allowing two-way communication because you can hear the response immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, my problem with my method is that you ask a question, then you have to let the entity record, and then you have to listen to it. Okay, and if you ask two or three questions, it's tough to have a conversation. Right. Whereas sure. they, these apparently give you the opportunity to to listen and respond in real time. Hmm. Well, the Frank's box thing, mm-hmm. it, is that not the one that scans the AMFM band right. and puts a blip out every so often? So you, you are actually, with that, you are hearing radio voices, right? Yes. The theory behind it is is that they can manipulate, they can pick and choose the words out of that scan to make sense hmm. and answer your question, okay? And at first, I, you know, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, has, has several of these devices, and we had talked about it. And my first question was, okay, all I've ever heard are the successes. Mm-hmm. What's the rate? Right. Success, failure. She says, it's only really about 10% success, mm-hmm. and the rest is gobbledygook. Right. But the su- successes are apparently pretty spectacular. They, whatever it was, literally use the words to say her name. Wow. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah. That'd be that's, a little hard to describe to a lot. That's a tough one to be a random, you know. Yeah. Shotgun blast. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, apparently there's something to this, and, and they continually 
are, are tweaking these things. And uh, I guess there are a couple of people that are on like the, uh, you know, other more advanced devices, you know, Mark 72 or, you know, right. whatever. Yeah, sure. So, which is fine. I, I intend to get one of these to try to, 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 I actually created a Radio Shack hack. I haven't okay. had a chance to, to use it yet, but I do want to try some of this stuff to see if we can get wow. it to a. Wow. Well, here's at the end, and we are at the end, aren't we? I have one more question. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you get any modern war ghost stories or people in Iraq or Afghanistan saying, I just killed that guy yesterday and here he is at my, you know, in my tent, anything like that? I have no doubt that there are ghost stories about, I mean, there's a, for example, there's a place uh, in uh, Laos, I believe it was, in the Vietnam War, called the Plain of Jars. Neither, it was a burial site, and it was so haunted that neither, apparently neither the North Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, or the Americans would fight there, huh. because they just they just refused to go into that area. Um, 9-11. Really? Stories, yeah, there's stories coming out of that, and there's stories, as a matter of fact, uh, Patty Wilson, my co-author in, in Haunted Pennsylvania, interviewed one of the um, guards, night guards out there at the uh, Flight 93 crash site, and and he had several sightings and several uh, experiences. One where he actually saw a woman outside of his car, and it was cold. It was wintertime, and she was dressed in September clothing. Huh. And uh, when he opened the car door to go talk to her, she disappeared. When he looked at a uh, pictures of the passengers and crew, he identified her from that. Wow. So modern, yeah, oh yeah, ghost stories are, are very modern and and I have no doubt that uh, that some of the stuff happens in, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I know if there are any Muslim ghost stories. In other words, do do the, the, do they have ghost stories? I'm, I'm, I mean, they right. do have jinn. Right. You know, what J-H, J-H-I-N or J-I-H-I-N. J-I-N-N, right? Yeah. Hmm. And so, the, the the ghost type of experience they definitely have have had. Huh. Well, what about in Japan where we dropped the bomb? I mean, is that like riddled with activity or no? Well, I don't know, but I know one of my uh, goals is to uh, try and get to Iwo Jima. Hmm. Because I hear that's haunted. I mean, you got to wonder about uh, uh, the beach at Normandy or, uh, you know. Say Mary Glees, Berlin. Or, I mean, sure. You know, look at the the, yeah. the Russians rolling into uh, into Berlin. I mean, yeah. that, that was ridiculous bloodshed and death in there. I know that the uh, airfields in the south of England mm. uh, are purported to be haunted mm. because you know they were the last place these guys took off from, and then all of a sudden they disappeared over over Germany, and they're apparently back. They're being seen. So modern mm-hmm. ghosts are. Are with us. People see ghost animals too, right? Yes. Do they see ghost dinosaurs? Do they see ghosts? Uh, <laughs> Ice Age. Hey, that's a damn good question. That is a good question. I, I don't. I don't have any. I, I don't have any uh, knowledge of that. Huh? Well, you see, Mark, it was a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> well, well, you know, they may, but I mean, it sounds so ridiculous. Who would ever admit it? <laughs> right. Well, that's you true. know. Huh. Um, but yes, they do see uh, uh, ghost animals. In particular, mostly, it seems, domestic animals. Hmm. Dogs, cats, horses. Hmm. No cows. <laughs> there are no ghost cows, Jeremy. No. Well, why would there be? 
I don't know. And we eat them, you know. I mean, well, thank God you would think they, you would think, <laughs> you would think they would be the first ones to haunt us, you know. You wake up in the middle of the night with a with a cow head in your face. You ate me last night. Are there you any know? places where there are multiple war uh, scenes from from different wars where there's cross pollination of soldiers or anything like yep. that? Absolutely, yeah, Fredericksburg. We have, I have stories of uh, Civil War soldiers um, telling ghost stories. In other words, having had experiences. Hmm. And then, of course, in modern times, we have people who have seen Civil War soldier ghosts in Fredericksburg. Hmm. So, yeah, there is like a crossover between the two bizarre. eras. It is bizarre. What else you got, Danny? I think that's, uh, well, I don't know. It's just interesting listening to you talk and um, listening to Rob Beck and thinking about any of the sort of the ghost hunter type TV shows we've seen um, that at, at your worst, ghost um, uh, uh, authorities seem to be kind of shallow and stupid. At your best, you seem to be really bright and authentic, but none of you seem to be completely batshit crazy the way they do in ufology, and I wonder why that is. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that. <laughs> you know, and I, like, I, I wonder if, if because you have a finite set of things that this could be, that it doesn't present itself in a way that, that anyone with a wild imagination or delusions of grandeur can like sweep in and, and come up with some sort of cult-like explanation for it. Like I, I, Maybe that just doesn't work with ghosts in the way that it does well, with I was, UFOs, ironically. I was, tell, I was telling Jeff that I really admire the way MUFON does its... its uh, documentation. I think they do a wonderful job. Ghost hunters don't do that. We don't have that type of uh, documentation. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get people uh, on the battlefield when they're taking pictures. They come in all the time and they say, look at a picture I took. Great. When did you take it? I don't know, last uh, year sometime. (laughs) Please, just put down the date, if nothing else, because then we can always look back. Okay, was it was it the heavy pollen count? Does that explain the orbs? Was it was it was it raining? Was there moisture in the air? Was there was there a solar flare going on at the time, giving extra extra energy with it that the ghosts could use? Mm. Just the simplest thing, like write down the the date and the time yeah. you took the photo. So it's tough. But in terms of um, doing a conference, when you share the stage with people, there's no one that you would, or is there? Is there are are there people where you're like, mm, I'm going to look like a fool if I take the same stage as this charlatan. Absolutely, yeah. There, there are people yeah. I won't. Yeah, there are people I won't work with. Huh? Care to name any of them? No. Better not. No, I mean that that was another. I, I said maybe we're at the end too soon because I, I did want to ask you. Like taps, got an opinion on what they do, I, how I, they do? I actually had a speech with. I uh, gave a speech uh, down to Richmond with, with them, and. Uh, you know, let's let's face it. They they put this uh, discipline on the map. Mm. Um, I, you know, I wish that they would. Uh, I mean, have they have a pretty good body of investigations. Mm. I kind of wish that they would branch out a little bit more. Okay, start experimenting a little bit more mm. because they have a wonderful following. You know what I mean? Um, some of the others, I'm not real. You know, I saw one the other night. Where they were interviewing the, the the cast or the investigators, and and one was sixteen, and another one was thirteen, and another and I'm like, oh, hold yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy and I continuously have a laugh about uh, ghost adventures. 
where they lock him up. And because I always say that the the host of that show, he's he's more interested in showing off his manly physique, <laughs> you know. So you saw it over there, did you? Yeah. Was it over here? You know, I mean, it's kind of like just hysterical to watch. And 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 always when I see shows like that, I I mean, in the back of my head. I love to watch Most Haunted. I love watching that show, but mm-hmm. I don't watch it because I think, oh, they're getting some good stuff. I watch it because it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like every every week, it's like another uh, Blair Witch Project, but but funnier. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I love that show. But uh, I would like know. if when they're playing back the EVB, they said, "Did you hear that?" They wouldn't have that background music going. I'm like, <laughs> yes. I'm not getting any younger. My hearing is not as good as it used to be. But yes. I even, you know, I can't hear any of this stuff. Right. When you when they're playing this spooky background music, cut the music. Let's be a little more a little more scientific about this. You yeah. Know? yeah. But I, you know, I can't say anything bad about it because they do. Uh, they are getting people interested in the field, and the more mm-hmm. people. The nice part about this field is that the more people that are interested, the equipment is not that expensive. Mm-hmm. The places that are haunted are are accessible like Gettysburg or, or, or wherever it's created. I mean, the more people that we have out there taking those pictures or trying to get EVP, the more evidence we're going to get. And, and the more um, close, the closer we're going to get to finding out what this is. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice, Jeremy, if we had that uh, kind of attitude in ufology? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, because 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 you know, on our our flip of the coin here, it's it's uh, and something I've talked about a lot is this proprietary attitude that some investigators take over a particular UFO case. It's like they don't want anybody getting near them. They don't they don't want to share the information uh, until you know X amount of days or months or years <laughs> have passed, or it all gets very territorial. And nothing gets done ah. in that kind of thing. No, so, no, it's, it should be shared. There be should be some sort of and and we get it all the time at Gettysburg. At least I do. Sitting there, you know, autographing people right. come in all the time with stuff, and it, it's built up a pretty good body of uh, yeah. evidence. Yeah, that's good stuff. Jeremy, uh, I think that's it. Really? If anybody wants to, I might as well. <laughs> it's two hours, Jeff. You want to keep going? I know. This is great, though. I mean. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy this. I yeah. gotta say. I mean, well, let's mention our great. my website. Let's anyhow, get the website okay? on here. Yes, Ghosts please. Ghostsofgettysburg.com. Ghost and Gettysburg. that will link to just about everything else that we're doing. The Mysterious Journeys weekends. Um, the uh, we're doing a ghost cruise. As a matter oh. of fact, yeah, we're, we're going. Or we're going to try to. Uh, we're going to get on a boat. I'm going to give talks seven nights in a week, and we're going to stop at various places in in New England and uh, do ghost investigations along the way. That's October 17th to the 22nd. You guys in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's comping his tickets for that. No, wait, not really. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait till I tell your wives, right? <laughs> right. you taking them on a cruise. Right. And then uh, November 13th to 15th is another Mysterious Journeys weekend. And then we're, we're going to have a Supernatural Summit. We're going to have a uh, one of these conferences only uh, virtual, mm. online, where you, know, you sign up for the conference, and then we're going to have various... Booths oh, with okay. some pretty famous people in it. Rosemary Ellen Guiley's going to be there. Uh, I'll be doing a, a, a ghost tour of the battlefield, which oh, you never nice. get to do, right? right yeah. And uh, many, many other uh, individuals that are going to be signing up for that. Great. So, ghostsofgettysburg.com. And all the information for all your speaking engagements and all of that are on there as well, right? Yes. And, uh, and you guys can actually, uh, on the show notes, uh, you can click on uh, Mr. Nedsmith's name and find 
everything directly from there. We'll have a big banner and a, and a link on his name uh, so you guys can go visit that and go check it out. Because um, this guy is one of the legends of Gettysburg Ghosts. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, the legend. So it's a real pleasure having you on, Mark. I Thanks, really Jeff. appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and Thanks, here's, here's the last thing we're going to ask you, because, and we're going to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, Jeremy lives in New York. I'm in Maryland. If Jeremy comes down one weekend, we can arrange it. Can you take us out? Because we want to do a live broadcast with you at Gettysburg. Sure. There can, it is. We can do it in the back room there where we get all the EVP in my place. Now, now we've got it on tape. You can stay up all night. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going we're okay. to try to set that up and, sure. uh, and, and do, the, do the recording there. And I'll bring all my stuff and, uh, and we'll just have at it. So, again, thanks very much, Mr. Mark. And we appreciate you stopping by. My pleasure. Hi, my name is Greg Bishop, and you're listening to Paratopia, where I just got asked questions that I never get asked and got to talk about things that I never get to talk about. Hi, this is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO Magazine. Magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give it 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time when we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. Eerie Radio, the endeavor for esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, you're back with Paratopia. Jeffy Ritzman and the J-Dog, the J-Man, the J-Ster. Ow! Jeremy <laughs> Vaney. Classic uh-huh. radio, Jeff. Classic radio. It's true. Uh, and we have another special guest. Yes, my friend Jason is here. Jason. Hello. Who... Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jason. Hello to all. <laughs> Uh, and you, uh, you of myth and lore, you you were brought up during this episode as uh, what a reenactor? Is that correct? Right. Yes. Okay. So, so now we get to hear Jason's stories of reenacting. No. And, ho- and horror of ghosts. <laughs> um, no, I was I was saying, uh, and, and I, I, I mean, we we have to say that we're we're actually retaking the end of the show because. Uh, it, it's Friday night, and, and Jason usually stops by on Friday, and I wanted him to tell us from his mouth rather than mine. Jason's been doing reenactments since you were 13, 13 years old, and, um, and Gettysburg has been like one of the big ones that he goes to. Uh, every year, I guess they do something up there, right? I mean, Yeah, a, last year was the uh, 145th, which was huge. Yeah, and um, uh, a lot of what 
you know, Marcus talked about during the show tonight was about, uh, you know, he mentioned reenactors and all that kind of stuff and how they're out there, essentially, Jason can say, to a ridiculous level of accuracy with the uniforms and the weaponry and everything, reenacting these battles. And, uh, and these guys happen to see a lot of weird shit. <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody what, what was related to you by this guy that uh, was in your unit? Well, I will say the authenticity goes only so far. Right. It goes as far as inside the tent with the cooler full of beer. Right. Uh, so that's where it stops. <laughs> right. But uh, starting off, probably some personal experiences I had uh, before uh, getting into the reenactment stories. Uh, when I first started getting into this, uh, I'd say about six, seven years ago, me and my girlfriend at the time went up to Gettysburg because this is just when it first started at Gettysburg and everybody really hadn't been up there yet and crowding the place up and everything. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we went up there, just two flashlights, nobody else on the battlefield, right when it's getting ready to close, and we're walking in an area right behind Devil's Den, which I'm sure Mark's talked about a lot. Oh, yeah. um, it's a very hot spot on the battlefield. But there's a trail that goes around the back of Devil's Den called the Slaughter Pen, aptly named. The <laughs> uh, Slaughter Pen. <laughs> That's pleasant. Uh this is where a lot of heavy fighting was done. Um, Confederate soldiers came up through this little gap, and they were pretty much slaughtered uh, by Union troops uh, on the rocks. We were on the trail by ourselves. We were the only car in the parking lot, and we are walking down this trail, and at the same time, both flashlights go out. Mm -hmm. So at this point, we're saying, what the hell's going on? Right. My girlfriend looks at me and said, let's go back to the parking lot. Okay, fine. So we turn around. We start heading back to the parking lot. Both the flashlights come back on. At this point, we continue towards the parking lot because we're both freaked out at this time. My girlfriend then is walking in front of me because she wants to get to the car a lot quicker than I do. Right. I see in plain view the back of her hair get pulled. Right. Like I was pulling it. Right. And there was nobody there. She freaks out. She starts yelling and screaming, what the hell are you doing pulling my hair? I'm freaked out enough. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Jamie, yeah. I'm five feet behind you. Right. I'm not pulling your hair. Right. At this point, we both take beelines to the car and we get out of it. <laughs> yeah. This was the first experience that actually really got me hooked into wanting to go back there for more of this stuff. Yeah. Not to have my girlfriend abused by whatever was there, but <laughs> just because I wanted to see what was going on. Well, there. you talk about the flashlights. When we went up there, you and her and, and Lisa and I went up there and you guys, you and Lisa walked out and it was cold. To say, you know, hey, cold as a witch's tit in a brass bra huh, is nothing comparison to, to how cold it actually was that it was, weekend. It was brutal cold. And I don't think we could – I mean, we left the car running because we yeah. had the heat blasting in the car. So the minute we got back in, we were warmed up again. And we had to take breaks too. We had to keep going. Oh, back hell back. yeah. I mean, and, uh, uh, and the same – well, you and Lisa walked down uh, in Devil's Den – uh, with flashlights, and she had the same experience with her flashlight yeah, going we, off down there, and as soon as she stepped off and onto the pavement, it came back on. Yeah, we, we were actually in the triangular field. That uh, was triangular field. You and yeah. Jamie were up top filming, and right. we were down, and you actually have that on footage, our lights going off yeah. at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but, uh, so what else from up there? That um, Other stuff that's happened at Gettysburg, um, another trail right around the same area. Yeah. It was me and her couple years later for you know still fresh in our minds the stuff that had happened before sure but at this point there was a couple other cars in the parking lot so it was around dusk not really dark yet we're walking along the trail and 
I mean, out of nowhere, it sounds like somebody comes bum rushing through the woods. I mean, heavy, mm. like a person come running through the woods and stops right at the edge of the trail. Mm. I mean, dead stops in their tracks. We shine the flashlight on on the trees. Nothing's there. Mm. At this point, I say, hey, let me see what's in there. Like a moron. <laughs> so I'm looking in there. I don't see anything. So at this point, we're walking away. We walk, and it happens again. Mm. And this time, it ran up to this another point in the trail where we had walked maybe 10, 15 feet, and it had run right up to the trail. And I'm saying... To behind you or in front of you? In front of us. Okay. And this is to the point where I'm saying, is this somebody really screwing with us that I cannot see? There was nobody there. Hmm. So... Could you make out if it was... Tour, I mean, because, of course, the, the main thing that comes to mind is, is it a deer? Namely, m- m- well, <laughs> most of the time, deer will run away run from away you from and you. bound down through exactly. the woods. Um, whereas this was, but was there any way to actually tell at the time if it was two legs or four legs or did no. it sound like more than one person? Or? It, it was something with some mass because it wouldn't have, it, it wouldn't have made that much disturbance. Yeah coming towards me. It, it wasn't something like a raccoon or a what, fox or something and, like that. And when you put the flashlight up, was anything moving? Nothing. Was a tree branches moving or anything looked like it was disturbed? Nothing. Or? And huh. that's what really freaked us out. And we have not been, you know, I don't think we've been back on that trail since. since that. No, because we didn't even go up when, when me and you went no. up. We did. But that's personal experience wise. When you get into the reenactment aspect, you, you get into a different type of things happening to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say the thing that stands out the most didn't happen to me, but happened to a close friend of mine that I've been reenacting with for 15 years. Mm. This guy was hardcore. I mean, he's been doing it since 1975. Mm. He's the guy that brought me into the hobby, Mm -hmm. got me equipped and everything, got me meeting the right people. Um, This guy. um, And when you say hardcore, this guy wasn't just hardcore Civil War. He did Revolutionary War, World War II. He was into a lot of different stuff. Yeah. and what had happened was, as Cedar Creek Battlefield, which is right outside Winchester, Virginia, is one of the only battlefields that you are actually allowed to do the reenactment on and actually camp on the actual battlefield where the soldiers fought, which is very rare in the reenacting field. Mm-hmm. Um, they try and keep you off of park property, of course, in respect to those who died there. Mm-hmm. Um, this happened, I, I believe this was in 2002, this happened. And it was well into the night, uh, we were actually camped in the middle of the camp. Um, we weren't on the edges or anything. And the way the story goes, about three in the morning, you get one of those urges where you have to run to the bathroom. <laughs> when you're in a reenactment, the only thing you have are spotted pots. So they're on either side of the camp. So he got up, got out of his tent, headed to the nearest spotted pot all the way across the camp. He goes to the bathroom and he notices there's this one loud unit that, are, that is still up at three in the morning, singing, carrying on, saying, what the hell are these guys doing up at 3 in the morning? they, yeah. they got to be keeping people up. But this is what everybody does. Every unit kind of does this kind of like gathering around their, their right. unit campgrounds. But like, there's a mutual respect in the camps after a certain time. Knock it off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what had happened was, this is about three, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he goes over to him when he's done in the bathroom. He's like, guys, you got to keep it down because, you know, somebody's going to say something. And he said he remembers one of the guys turning around looking at him and saying, everything was all right today everything's going to be all right. And that's what it was. That's all it was said to him. He's like, all right, well, guys, you guys still got to keep it down. The guy turned around and they kept singing. He walked back to his tent and this is where it starts to get weird. He goes back to his tent, falls asleep. He remembers falling asleep, but then he remembers waking up feeling like it was five minutes ago when he was just out. 
He looks outside of his tent, and there's nothing there. Mm. He's the only tent in the middle of the field. He's looking around. At this point, he's freaking out. He's saying, i got to be dreaming. Something's got to be going on. He goes back in his tent at this point, goes back to sleep. Next morning, 6 a.m., when the drums and the bugles are going, everybody's getting up, he comes out, walks down to where that camp was. He's like, hey, where's the unit that was here last night? The guy in the next street over, Company Street, says, nobody was here. There's no fire pit dug. Ground wasn't broken, nothing. There was nobody set up on that side of the camp. This man has not been to a reenactment since 2002. <laughs> this man has, does it. not answer emails to any pe- anybody that's been with him for 20, 15 years of reenactment. And you said somebody recently told you, dude, he's out of it because of that. He's, and, he's, and that's, that's it. That's yeah. what did him in for this. And that, that story right there, I mean. Well, when he woke up, like five minutes or what he perceived as being five minutes later, and there was nobody in the field but him. Nobody. He well, said, how was that? I mean, you're in the group, right? I mean, you're within right. the group. Yeah, there's, when there's, he came there, out, no one was there? No tents. He said nothing was around. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm out of there. I mean, I'm packing the truck. That's what I said. I would have been in the parking lot. But <laughs> apparently, he he dismissed it as he was dreaming. That's what hmm. he dismissed it as, and he went back but, in. But and, it was daylight when, when no, he saw was, that? No, this was night. Still night. Yeah. Nothing around. No campfires, nothing. Just his tent and his lantern. That it. That's it. That is for so, sure. But the next day, I think, is what really freaked him out when he went down there, and it doesn't look like anybody had been there. there. Huh. So. That's some weird shit. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and like I said, you got to, like I asked Mark last night, I said, what, what do you think, do, do you think they can see us? Do you think that they, you know, that, that while this reenactment thing is going on, are they watching, or are they into it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, how do you know? Uh, when you got that many costume people, I mean, Mark related the the Phantom Marching Squad that you told me about too. I mean, that we we've even seen that on. Oh TV. yeah, that people think it's a living history group, and they say, "Hey, yeah, what's going on?" There's nobody there, there yeah. you know, and they look that real. Yeah. So when you're in a reenactment situation, I mean, at least from for my money, all that I've heard about it, I'd be like wondering, like the guy walking towards me across the field is. Is that a real guy? That's like, Getty- <laughs> am I going to go up and poke him? <laughs> I mean, hey, Gettysburg this year, you're talking about. The largest group of troops on the field since the actual battle. How I mean, many you're talking? It? You're talking fifteen thousand troops Jeez. in uniform, and it was just unbelievable. It was a full scale Pickett's charge. It was as many people in Pickett's charge mm. this year that they could gather. It was about eight thousand Confederate troops coming across the field towards us. Mm. Unbelievable to see. And uh, they're saying the 150th anniversary is just going to blow everything out oh, of the I'm water. Sure. So it's yeah. just going to be I'm the sure. biggest thing we probably see. So, but. There's things that happen here and there, and I was telling Jeff, you know, you'll be sleeping in your tent in the middle of the night, and you'll feel like somebody nudging you on your feet at the end mm. of the tent, and you look mm. up, you're like, ah, that's nothing there, and then it happens again, and it happens again, and, mm. and you end up just going to sleep, but stuff happens like that all the time. You're drawing the attention to yourself by honoring Su- these guys that up. went yeah. out and, you know, and did this, yeah. you know. So. Well, I mean, the bumping, uh, when you're camping like that, the bumping on the feet, I knew Jeremy probably remembers when we went uh, camping uh, with Lisa's family down to Point Lookout, which was the Confederate prison, the prison camp. Right. And these guys in that place, I mean, they, I mean, you can correct me because you're the Civil War buff, but they, they didn't have enough food for these guys. I mean, oh, they, no. they had no pleasantries whatsoever. And these guys practically, I mean, they say it, it's an atrocity what happened to those guys in that camp. I mean, they die and they literally you dig a hole right beside you and throw them in. Uh, there was a hospital up there, and the last time we went up, 
uh, we were on the very edge. The markers were literally right behind our tent. And that's like everybody that goes every year, we don't. Uh, right. go every year, but every everybody that goes with her dad and the family, they go, oh yeah, the bump in the feet, oh yeah, we get that all the time. I'm like, what is that? And it wasn't until like a couple of years ago where Lisa's sister told me she was reading that that's how they check to see if the dead, you know, were, you know, or if you were alive or not. You're right. laying in a, in a bunk, they come up and bump your feet, and if you stirred, you were still alive. So that's what that is. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a fascinating place, and it, you know, for listeners overseas and whatnot, how do you even convey how how pretty this place is? I mean, it's a gorgeous area. The town looks like, to me, even the town looks looks like you know it should have looked back in that. I mean, I know they've built facades on the front right. of some of the buildings and whatnot, but it's it's a it's a pretty little town too. Except for the McDonald's right next to the battlefield, it looks pretty. And the Friendlies yeah. ice cream. <laughs> I mean, oh, there's but, a Friendlies. Well, let's go. What do we mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all set. Did you I, tell your story about what happened uh, when you went to Gettysburg when we were up, the, it, up, up on the hill? The high water mark, yeah. Um, I told Mark. I think I told him before the show. We were – when we went up there, I mean, Jason's kind of like the guide guy because he knows where he's going and I don't. Um, I've been up there on a couple of field trips with Cody and, and, and a couple of, uh, when I was back in school. But um, we went up and, and we went around to uh, – uh, where they see the white lady, which is up at the Spangler Springs Spangler area. Spring, area. Right. We went up there. We went, uh, and the only place, the only thing I can remember about this place is that there was a guy on a horse. It's a huge statue. Sits up on a hill. Right. That was up on. Uh, we were actually up on Culp's Hill, which is right Culp's above Hill. Spangler Spring. Uh, and Triangle Field. We went to. Right. And then wherever we, you just reminded me where we, I thought we were directly across from the Friendlies. Like the Friendlies was down the hill and across the road. Apparently, that's not exactly where we no, were. We no. went to Friendly's directly after this happened. Right. Yeah, it's um, actually the road you follow out from where we were mm-hmm. on the battlefield. It goes right out, dumps you right out in front of the Friendly's. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, we're walking, and it's cold. And uh, <laughs> and I get colder than anybody else. So, of course, I'm walking the fastest. And, and I think uh, uh, Lisa and Jamie were in the back, and you were up in front of them a little bit. And I'm, like, walking real fast towards the car. <laughs> and uh, I thought... That uh, that Jason grabbed my right arm like a bicep, and I, I, I mean, it spun me around. I mean, I, I mean, you were you saw me spin around. Yeah, I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and I looked around at him, and all, and, and like for a, a split second, it just didn't compute that he was that far behind me when he just grabbed my arm. Well, apparently, it wasn't him that grabbed my arm because the 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 the, the coldness that banded around my bicep was just like. Ice cube. I mean, it literally made the bone ache. And you were you were pretty shaken too because you were still freaked out when we were sitting at Friendly's after we ordered our food. You were well, still well, namely because that arm did not warm up for like an hour. Right. I mean, if you remember, I was everybody's at the table like touching my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! It's still cold, you know. And I was like, yeah, it's a like it's to the bone cold. So uh, we had that, and then we had um, we stayed at what the what was the. It's actually called the Quality and Larsons, but it's actually okay. the um, original site, and it's still there, of General Lee's headquarters during the battle. Okay. Um, right next to General Lee's headquarters was the Confederate Hospital okay. during the battle. So, and, and that's what they've converted into the into suite? two luxury suites, yeah. yes. <laughs> so we say, <laughs> Jamie and his love were in the bottom, and I'm upstairs with Lisa, and, and you know, <laughs> Jason says, you won't have any problem tonight because... 
we're down there sleeping where they threw the body parts in the surgery, <laughs> so you won't have any problem. We'll have the guy coming in looking for his leg. Um, but uh, it was, I mean, never again will I stay at that place because uh, it not only was it just a fitful night in general of sleep, uh, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was peaked to see something. I was on alert. I was the, 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 you know, the dog with the ears up, but I did not see anything. I, uh, I, the, the bed was facing the open door to the bathroom. And Lisa and I both said, you just, any minute you expect someone to walk out of this bathroom. <laughs> but that didn't happen. Um, the only thing I can say is that as I'm laying there and I had the TV on just to have some kind of noise um, <laughs> to make me feel better, I'm laying there in bed. She's asleep next to me. And I feel someone tapping between me and her on the bed. <laughs> like just like with a finger, like, you know, tapping. And I look over and I'm like, what was that? And I kind of shake the bed clothes out because it actually touched the edge of my leg. And I flatten the bed. Uh, they had this real, real poofy, uh, like, comforter on. Right. And I'm sitting there and I'm just looking. And all of a sudden I feel it again. And I can see the bed moving between us. I can see <laughs> something tapping up towards my leg. And I was no more good after that. I got up. I walked around. I, I even went outside and stood on the little walkway, like the, the, the wooden steps. Right. Um, smoked a cigarette because I was still smoking then. And uh, went back in, turned on uh, Jerry Springer or the knife show or something, and uh, and, and and gradually just went to sleep. So and you, you remember what happened the first thing in the morning. And when I got up, I came upstairs like, how did you sleep last night? Shut the hell up. We were like freaking zombies, man. I mean, it was not a good night's sleep at all. I mean, Lisa said she did not sleep well at all. If I've told that story twice in this episode, I apologize. I don't know that I did. But um, it's, you know, it's a It's lot. a weird place. I mean, that is a real. And here's the other thing. Mark was telling me last night that that very place, you know, where the railroad tracks are from there. I don't. I remember vaguely the in the parking lot looking through the woods and you could see them. Yeah. They found a child's grave out there. Recently found, it's the most recent remains. Oh, right there, in the, right there by the railroad. Yeah, the railroad cut actually sits right behind the well, main, the main no, hotel. Apparently, this is right by the hotel. Oh, okay. Apparently, if you're sleeping in the bottom of that place, the headstone is they, apparently what they found it was right up against the building. Wow. So you're either sleeping with your head on someone's grave or vice versa. I mean, it's it's. It, you know, you can't imagine how they would miss something like that when they're <laughs> building the hotel. How do you pave? How do you pave a road and not see that? Right. Oh yeah. Just go over top. It's all right. <laughs> you know. Um, hey, do any of these um, haunting scenarios with you know people on the battlefield and all that? Do any of them ever? Do they play out during the time of year when the actual battles happened, or is it just any old time? Uh, the peak time is yes, actually around the anniversary of the battle. They say the best time to be in Gettysburg is July. You know, first through third, uh, the anniversary of the battle was when everything really happens a lot more than what it usually does. Um, but to tell you the truth, to get any kind of investigation up there at that time of year is impossible. Yeah. There are so many people up there yeah. between reenactors and people just coming up there. It's just really hard to do anything up there, yeah. which um, which is sad because, like I was saying, when I used to go to Gettysburg, when I first got into this ghost hunting thing, there was nobody out there. Yeah. There was no teenagers running around yelling and screaming, oh, that was me. That was, there was none of that. Yeah. There was not, no, you know, 50 million cameras going off. It was just mm. you, your flashlight, and your camera. That's all it was. Yeah. Well, but, I, and there wasn't, when we went up there, there wasn't. Nobody. We went up to Devil's Den, 
and there was nobody there. Our car pulled up while we were leaving. Yeah. But we were up there virtually alone. And I don't think, I mean, the cold probably had a lot to do with yeah. why we were alone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but but I think probably the winter would be a, a good time to go because there's just not so many people there. Right. But Mark said, nighttime doesn't mean shit. Daytime is good, too, he said. He's like, doesn't matter. They don't care. Right. You know what we should What's do that? is um, if we're going to go there in September, we yeah. should invite, like, Derek Bartholomew or some nearby representative of his skeptic group to come with us. Oh. I mean, if this place is so chock full of ghosties, why why don't we have a skeptic with us and then force them to deal with it? <laughs> Another award-winning idea from one Jeremy Vaney. <laughs> you heard it here first. I think that's a great idea. I really do. And wherever Mark takes us is gonna be oh, yeah. hot. Yeah. So it's Yeah. I mean it's 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 gonna be good. I mean I think uh uh we're gonna take Jace along because he knows the area and that way during the daytime, you know, he can take us around all these places and he knows a lot of history behind what's where and who, who died where and all that kind of stuff. So if we're to try any EVPs in the daytime, uh that'd be good to know because Mark was saying that he never just goes out and says, Is anyone here? He'll always like have a name picked out or he'll have like, Are you with so and so? Yeah, he knows the units, he knows mm-hmm. the commanders, he knows all that. Yeah. So. so, I mean, he's a pretty great historian for that place, too. So, uh, anyway, yeah. That'll be fun. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So, we have to write him, Jeremy, towards the beginning of September. And he said that uh, he'll set us up in his place and we can stay up all night. That's great. So. Plus we, plus, we still got that uh, Surratt House deal, too. Yes. Jason's got another place that uh, has a lot of activity that uh, we're probably going to do a, another live thing. Do they have electricity there? Yes. Great. We're in. <laughs> yes. We've got to be able to hook the Mac up. So, uh, Surratt House is supposedly very haunted. Uh, what's the history of that place? Uh, it actually belonged, it was a boarding house. It belonged to Mary Surratt, which was one of the conspirators, convicted conspirators in the Lincoln assassination. Mm. Um, she was never proven to actually be involved, but John Wilkes Booth and the other conspirators met at her boarding house. Thus, she was hanged. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, there you go. So we've got it in there, too. So uh, there's two nice places to check out. So what do you think, Jeremy? Are we done? Um, yeah. What else you got? Come on, man. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm just listening to the stories, man. I'm just a patsy. So, 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 what are you what are you thinking of the the changing gears of you know we're we're like a constant UFO show and you know or or for the most part I think constant UFO show, but we're kind of switching gears to going a lot of different stuff here in the next few weeks. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, great. That that's what we wanted to do originally, anyway. So yeah, yeah. Well, and next uh, month will be my stories on Bigfoot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you have Bigfoot back for- stories? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Do you have Jeff's stories? Oh, he's probably got a ton of those. I've got a ton of Jeff's stories. <laughs> Most having to do with me in a Darth Vader suit, <laughs> I figure. We don't want to discuss that here on the show. Yeah, I mean, my uh, only question is reenacting. Uh, it's a mundane question. Just reenacting is a hobby. It's not something that they pay you to do. Yes, it's a hobby. Uh, everything's done, you know. Do you have to learn lines yeah. and all that? No, no, no. You just, uh, what you do need to learn is, you know, the way the soldiers, you know, presented themselves, the, the everyday life, because, so you know, like when it's... a real life World of Warcraft kind of thing. Absolutely. Right. I would say, 
I mean, I mean, when they set up the tents and the campfire and all of that, I mean, they're playing the traditional instruments and the whole deal. So, and do, I mean, you, and do you sleep overnight as a reenactor? I mean, do you stay in character for twenty four hours, or what do you? Think? Yes, and the, the the rule of thumb is is the spectators, the actual spectators that come in to view everything, are allowed in the camps from maybe nine to about five. Um, that's when it's very essential that they go around and tell everybody, listen, we're starting to let spectators in. Everything that's not everything that's modern needs to be put out of sight. You know, it's mm-hmm. time to you know do what you're supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, of course, you've got those guys here and there that you know bring the battery powered TVs and have them going on in their <laughs> tents and stuff at night. Radios. Yeah. I'm on the highway to hell. But for yeah. the most part, you have <laughs> <laughs> you got that going on inside of us. Civil War reenactment. So. Well, so um, I mean, do you register? Do they do they keep count of how many people they have that are reenacting, or is it just uh, for all? Just trust. It, it, that's the thing. Uh, it's it's hard to keep track. There's different organizations that have maybe twenty or thirty units underneath of them. Um, each unit is usually about maybe thirty to forty guys. Um, what would be the size of a company during the war? Um, now, what has happened now is there's all these independent groups popping up so you can never get a really correct count hmm. on who's out there who's doing what because everybody's it, doing all kinds of different kind has, of impressions has it's, anyone brought a uh, real gun uh yeah <laughs> there have been accidents in the past couple of years yeah, uh, like just like uh, a murder spree or something like a reenactment spree well a guy this is a couple of years ago it actually was a at, up at Chartsburg. it was a living history it wasn't a really big event or maybe 500 guys per side and it's the first event of the year, and the guy apparently was live firing his rifle over the winter time, mm-hmm. and uh, he apparently left a ball that was jammed in there, and he took out one of the other guys on the other side and um, killed him. Didn't kill him; hit him in his leg. Oh, I was going to say he'll be haunting the Ghost of Gettysburg tours. But you get you always have accidents out there, and yeah. you know you get these morons that don't know what they're doing, and it's just it makes things really bad for everybody else. I'd say the reenactment this year in Gettysburg, one battle alone, they stopped the battle in mid battle four or five times for people doing stuff they weren't supposed to be doing. Hmm. I mean, people firing point blank in other people's faces. You know, yeah. they, they don't tolerate that stuff. So yeah. it's uh, how many? Uh, I mean. How many? Do, I mean, you've got to have injuries just because you do. You go down. I mean, when they. Oh yeah. When you drop, you're dropping. You know, ragdoll. So I mean, you've got to have guys falling on all sorts of knives and guns and yeah. getting bruised and cut. Nothing like a bayonet in the ass. That'll yeah. uh, <laughs> get you up off the ground. That'll wake up. <laughs> um, but uh, how long do you have yeah. to stay down if you're shot? Until the battle's over. Until you hear taps playing. <laughs> Oh shit! They play, How, how's the long? What's the longest you ever laid on the ground? Uh, about an hour. Oh, in the beating sun. But I rolled over and put my hat over my face, so <laughs> I didn't. Really... <laughs> I mean, what's the agreement? How do you know that you've been hit? And not like if you know the two-year-old thing of you didn't get me. Nah, you missed. Well, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Here's how you determine when you're actually dead. Uh, you either determine it by you're too tired, or you're out of ammo. <laughs> so you just go down wherever you're at. <laughs> I don't have any caps left. I'm down. We had a, uh, it was funny, it, it happened last year, we were actually charging an artillery piece, mm. and there were about 50 of us charging one artillery piece, and we were all beat. We were out drilling all day, and then we were in the middle of the battle, and this artillery piece went off, and all 50 of us went down. <laughs> Just because everybody's tired. And the crowd loved it. They, I mean, yeah. it was unbelievable. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and the other thing is, what, what I find to be probably the most brutal part about reenactment is, 
Wool uniforms. Wool uniforms in the middle of summer. <laughs> in July. See, I think I would be scared if I went there thinking it were something like the King Richard's Fair, you know, Renaissance Festival where people are actors or, or whatever, but they're signed up to do this. And, and then I found out that, no, these are just people with a hobby that are out there. I think I would all of a sudden be scared and be like, what? What am I walking into? And then I'd like try to creep away before somebody actually shot me. <laughs> I mean, is there a is is there a, a like a national organization of? Yeah, it's actors? actually yeah, the Civil War uh, Preservation Society is oh, okay. like the main body um, that all the units try and fall into. But um, there's really no reps. No, or, because you know, you know anybody can pop up. I mean, Jeff, you can pop up and say, "Hey, I want to start a unit." Guess what, Jeremy, Jason, you're in my unit. Guess what, I have a unit now. Huh. You know, you can say, "I want to be a captain." <laughs> Jeremy can be a sergeant. Jason, you can, you know, be a private, and that's it. it, it and that's what's popping up now. That's what's really messing a lot it of It does sound up. a little dangerous, doesn't it, Jeremy? <laughs> well, I think I see my new mock documentary in my future. Right. <laughs> there you are. There you are. There you are. So, uh, yeah. Well, all right, man. Well, thanks for uh, coming on. And, oh, no and problem. doing it's this. So, pleasure, guys. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. So, um, that's, a little, that's a little insight from a, a, a reenactor who's been into it for a long time. So, Yeah. Good show, Jer. Good show. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I really did. Nice, refreshing break. Can we forget UFOs for like the next, I don't know, 30 episodes? <laughs> I think we are, actually. Yay! Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, until next time, Paratopia. What he said. 